We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 82 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We have got a packed show. We're officially previewing the 2019 baseball season as opening day is on Friday afternoon against the Liberty Flames. We talk Carolina baseball, pitching, hitting, this year's lineup, all the questions to be answered and give our predictions for the 2019 South Carolina Gamecocks baseball season. Also touch on a little men's basketball as the Gamecocks get the win over Arkansas on Saturday and take on Tennessee tomorrow afternoon. Also touch on a little recruiting, your listener questions, and a couple of special interviews. First with Blake Cooper, former Gamecocks right-handed pitcher, pitched in the 2010 National Championship against UCLA. And South Carolina Gamecocks head baseball coach Mark Kingston joins us to preview the upcoming season. All that and more on a packed edition of the Spurs Up show. Before we get into everything, this show is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Baseball season's upcoming. We're in full season with basketball season, uh, NHL, NBA, whatever you can think of. Get your tickets today through SeatGeek. It's the only ticket buying app I use, the best ticket buying app by far. They actually rate the tickets for you. They do all the work. They tell you if you're getting a really, really good deal or maybe if you're overpaying for your tickets a little bit. Um, use the promo code SPURSUP. You're actually going to get $10 off of your first purchase. Again, that's SeatGeek. Again, it's the only app that I use. Uh, they've got tickets to everything from sports to concerts, comedy club events, anything that you can name. If you need to buy tickets, go use our friends over at SeatGeek and use that promo code Spurs up to get $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, he's Thomas Floyd. Tom, another week on the show. We're talking baseball. Opening day is finally here. Um, we get to talk some baseball on this week's show. I know you're very, very excited for that. But uh, how has the past week been for you? How's everything going now that I guess there's no NFL, there's no football really besides the AAF, which we can chat about if you want. But uh, how you been? I mean, obviously still coming off the high of the Super Bowl. <laughs> All I see is past posts. I follow, like, five more Patriots fan pages, just so that's, like, all I would see on my Instagram. And I have to pay attention to, like, spring training. Because, like, bro, the World Series was, like, yesterday, and it's already spring training. I don't know how that happened. But, I mean, the Red Sox are still war champs, and the Pats are going to be for another year. So, got to love it while I can. 
Yeah, I know that uh, last week the parade went down. I'm surprised you – well, I guess you're in class, so you couldn't make yeah, the trip. That, that trip. What, what, is, what a sad world you live in that you can't go to the championship parade. That must be just so – It's difficult. only like the 17th since I've been born. <laughs> you, and, you and McGillicuddy, you're, you're, the, you're, you're claiming the same thing as McGillicuddy yep. is. Um, yeah, I mean – do we want to talk about the AAF at all? I, I, I don't know. I just kind of mentioned I don't really care about it. Right. I mean, other than Spurrier, like, being Spurrier, there's nothing really to it. Yeah, I'll say this. The football's bad, but I I, I feel it's like I'm going to watch every Orlando Apollos game just because of yeah. Spurrier. Like, I really feel like I'm going to watch. And that's what they need Apollos. to be successful. They're going to have to, like, have, like, get a bunch of old coaches that are, like, really – like, just – they're going to have to get other Spurriers to come coach their teams. Like, no one's going to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I told a buddy of mine, I'm like, this league has to be rigged at some point to where Steve Spurrier's team is getting in the championship, right? Because, I mean, if, if, they're, if they're eliminated early, like, that's, you're going to get the best ratings that way if the Apollos are in the championship. I mean, it has to be sort of set up that way, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I don't say it's rigged, but, like, they did be the dog crap out of the other team, and I'm, I'm willing to assume the best players are going to be on, like, Spurrier and – Whoever the other team was that beat whoever they played by 40, I can't even remember. But, I mean, it seems like it's just going to be, like, decent football to watch. I mean, I think – I can't remember who said this. I think it was Clay Travis I saw on Twitter said that the AAF's opening game beat out the NBA, like, primetime game that I saw night. that. Ratings-wise, yeah, so, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, ratings-wise. So, obviously, people are going to watch it. Like, I don't think that's going to be a big problem. They're probably going to have to switch it to where they're not streaming the games. They're going to have to, like, actually put the games on TV. Yeah, no, I watched – it was weird. I know Saturday the game – Saturday night, at least, the Apollos game was on actual CBS, and then Sunday was the whole CBS Sports Network streaming whatever thing going on. But, no, I, I thought it was definitely fun. Before we get into the baseball preview, Tom, can we just talk about the fact – I know that if you're listening to this show at this point, you obviously already know what I'm about to say, uh, and we dropped the announcement on Tuesday night. But Mark Kingston, what what a get. I mean, what a get by us. I, I mean – that is, uh, you know, we've had some very big-time guests on this show before, and, um, you know, I have to say that I think this is our biggest get yet, Tom. I mean, getting a current head coach, big move for the Spurs Up show. Big moves. I mean, we're doing big moves. And like you said, big moves. We're doing big things. I don't know I what mean, people expect else from, from right now. Yeah, I mean, as you probably already know, if you maybe skipped ahead of this, I don't know, but you know the interview is only seven minutes. We had to go through the universe to get it, but, hey, it's better than nothing. That Next was time. a fun time for both of us. Yeah, yeah, se- yeah, seven whole minutes long. But anyways, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of reflect on that before we actually got in the interviews like crazy. I mean, it's wild. I would have never, never guessed, never imagined we'd be talking to Mark Kingston, but yet here we are. But, all right, that's going to lead us into baseball. It's, again, arguably my, favorite, arguably my favorite time of the year. Opening day is upon us on Friday. Gamecocks taking on Liberty to start the 2019 season. Um the aforementioned Mark Kingston entering in, into his second season as South Carolina head coach. Uh, just to recap, kind of look back on 2018 for South Carolina baseball. Gamecocks went 37 and 26, 17 and 13 in the SEC. You'll remember last year was a very, very interesting year for South Carolina the way it started. South Carolina was 20 and 17 at the midseason point. We're one and five in the SEC. And Tom, I think a lot of people um we're starting to wonder. I mean, what's going on? Is Kingston really the guy? Is this maybe a bigger rebuild than we all expected? South Carolina was able to bounce back, won 12 of their last 17 games, won five straight SEC series, and earned a berth in the NCAA tournament in the Greenville Regional, where they actually swept that regional, went to the Super Regional uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, faced the Arkansas Razorbacks, 
who were one of the top teams in the country, one of the top seeds, and actually went on to play in the national championship in Omaha. Gamecocks were a win away, though, from getting to Omaha Mark Kingston's first season. So what I would call a very successful year for Mark Kingston and company uh, in his first year. After the season, Gamecocks lose five seniors heading into 2019. Eight players, a record eight players drafted in the 2018 MLB draft. And uh, as Tom was looking in our pre-show to the guys on 18 new players on this year's team. So um, a lot of new faces, a lot of new faces South Carolina fans will be seeing at Founders Park. Um, we're going to jump right into the pitching because I think, you know, for me, obviously, that's where it all starts, Tom, for South Carolina is the pitching staff. And you lose Adam Hill, you lose Cody Morris heading into this season. You feel pretty good about Carmen Majinski. I think it's pretty much set in stone. He's going to be the Friday night guy, a guy that I thought pitched very well as a freshman a year ago. Had his had his freshman moments, as all freshmen do, but uh, pitched very well, has really, really good stuff. They said he's put on actually 25 pounds as a guy that has plus velocity, has plus movement, has really, really good breaking stuff, and a guy, again, that uh, you know I expect to be a top-of-the-line SEC Friday night starter for South Carolina. But one thing, Tom, you had talked about, Skyler Meade entering his second season, as well as obviously as Gamecocks pitching coach, and one thing South Carolina is going to really need to focus on in 2019 is the walks. Uh, 274 walks a year ago, and like you mentioned, Tom, is just an astronomical number uh, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not a big baseball guy, and Chris is going to know a <laughs> lot more about these guys than I do. But losing – I mean, Adam Hill had 14 strikeouts against Clemson, I think. Yeah, back-to-back yeah, games, I mean, Clemson and Charleston yeah. Southern. Yeah, I mean, you're not – to see that out of any of our pitchers, I would think this year, or I would be shocked too, just because I mean he was a very good pitcher. Cody Morris to me, in the games that I watched, was either on or off, and I don't think there was much in between for him. And I could be often saying that, but that's just my you know very not crazy that much of a fan perspective. But the 274 walks thing is just an insane number. I mean, that's obviously has to go down this year for no that be successful. Yeah, no, and you make a great point on uh, Cody Morris. I agree 100% with you. I mean, he was a guy that, for me, had a ton of talent. I thought he honestly should have came back for another season, but, you know, the way that things play out now, kids are taking the, taking advantage of being able to go pro, which, I mean, 100% more power to you. But I thought a guy, Cody Morris, you're 100% right, Tom. I think he's a guy that was – when you watch a guy that has as much velocity as a guy like Cody Morris does, he reminded me a lot of Sam Dyson. For anybody listening to this show that remembers Sam Dyson from the – the national championship teams. He's a guy that had very much plus velocity, had a ton of velocity in mid to upper nineties, but a guy that just could at times could not find the strike zone. I remember specifically being up in Greenville for the South Carolina Clemson matchup in Greenville where Cody Morris very much struggled. I mean, I think he only went three or four innings in that one. And it was a situation where a lot of times he got himself into jams and his stuff was good enough. It was so good. It was good enough to get him out. But he'd be at his pitch count 80, 85, 90 pitches by the third inning, and the guy couldn't go very long. But, like, I agree with you 100%, Tom. Uh, he was very on or off. But, again, this season you lose both Adam Hill, Cody Morris. Again, I think it's safe to say Skylar Mead has basically already said Carmen Majinski is going to be your number one guy, your Friday night guy for South Carolina. Who steps up in that starting rotation? There are a list of candidates right now. Um, the candidates are Dylan Harley, Hayden Lehman, John Gilreath, Reed Morgan. TJ Shook, they're all vying for their Saturday and Sunday starting positions and as well as the midweek starters. Um, from everything I'm hearing, Tom, it sounds like Dylan Harley is going to occupy uh, one, in, one of those starting rotation spots, a left-handed pitcher, um, really a steal in last year's recruiting class. You, t- you listen to Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead talk about the kid. 
He's a lefty throwing 94-95 from the left side. I mean, anytime you have a kid, a left-hander especially, that's throwing that hard, he's going to have some sort of impact, some type of place in your rotation. Everything I've heard from uh, preseason scrimmages and everything he's done, it sounds like Dylan Harley um, has almost locked up that Saturday spot. So to me, Tom, the question more so lies, who's going to be the Sunday starter for South Carolina? You have Hayden Lehman, the right-handed pitcher out of junior college uh, that's thrown pretty well. John Gilreath uh, is someone that threw a lot as a freshman year ago, a real bulldog, real competitor on the mound. I actually said a couple weeks ago, I truly thought that John Gilreath would be in the, in the weekend rotation. Um, I'm not 100% sure now at this point. Reed Morgan is a guy, a right-handed pitcher, that originally went to Oklahoma State, transferred out of there and went to junior college, and now is at South Carolina. I'll be completely honest. I expect more so to see him in a bullpen role. I think he's more of a middle relief type guy. Um, but he is someone in the competition. Could start some midweek. And then TJ Shook. I think TJ Shook is a very, very interesting one in the sense that, listen, I thought Shook was fantastic as a freshman a year ago. I mean, a guy that really came in. The thing that more so impressed me about Shook than even his stuff or his velocity was his poise. His poise is a true freshman. Again, I remember specifically being up in Greenville, watching him pitch against Clemson and – you know, the type of poise to come into a game like that, a rivalry game as a true freshman, his his demeanor never changed to me going throughout the season, whether he was getting hit hard, whether he was, you know, throwing shutout innings, striking guys out. You could never really tell. And I think that's a huge, huge quality to have as a freshman because a lot of guys come in, you know, very emotional, can get shaken, rattled very easily. I think Shook is a guy that is, uh, is uh, going to be a huge piece of the South Carolina pitching staff. Um, overall, if I had to predict right now, no, we're not in the predictions quite yet, but if I had to predict right now for the Sunday spot, um, I think Hayden Lehman, Tom, is going to be the guy, the right-hander out of junior college, a guy that's a little bit older, veteran presence. I'm not sure South Carolina with Dylan Harley sort of, you know, again, it's not a for sure lock, um, but I assume Dylan Harley is going to be your Saturday starter. If you have Majinski, Harley, that you go righty, lefty. I don't think they're going to want to go back-to-back lefties, which I think bumps John Gilreath out of that Sunday spot. I think they'll turn back the right-hander, Hayden Lehman, a guy sitting low 90s, good breaking stuff, good change up. Um, I think Lehman is going to be your Sunday starter, at least to start the season. Um, but South Carolina should be in really, really good shape. We've actually got a listener question. I read it before the show, Tom, coming up. Um, you'll probably remember this. I'm not sure if you're watching these games, but South Carolina lost some games last year to some teams that really South Carolina had no business losing to. You think of like a Presbyterian, you think of a Wofford, you think of uh, – What's the College of Charleston, didn't we? I think College of Charleston may have been one as well, but there were just some games last year where I think South Carolina – really was impacted by the lack of depth in their pitching staff, which is one thing I think this season they're, they're much, much better at. I think there's a lot of depth. Even though, even, even though there's some guys that haven't pitched before on this level, I think depth is a huge plus this year. And I think South Carolina – I mean, listen, if John Gilreath is starting on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I mean, John Gilreath, in my opinion, is a quality weekend SEC arm. I mean, he would be starting at a lot of SEC schools on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he still may be. Again, we don't know 100% until Mark Kingston makes that announcement. Um, but I think South Carolina should definitely benefit from that as well, having that strength, having that, that uh, depth in their, uh, their, uh, their pitching staff. I think, I think it will really benefit them in the midweek as well. Um, as far as the bullpen depth, Tom, you talked about already two guys you've been able to watch. Rich Chapman, Sawyer Bridges. Sawyer Bridges is a guy who's been in South Carolina for the past – Four seasons, Gamecock fans know him very well. He's already been named to the Gamecocks closer. Ridge Chapman, that was a battle between those two guys. He'll be at the back of the bullpen as well. I fully expect him to get up, be 
kind of the setup man for South Carolina, if you will. And obviously, if Sawyer Bridges needs a break, um, I would expect Ridge Chapman to take those late innings. But overall, I think a guy – not sure if you saw the quote, Tom, but uh, I believe it was Skylar Mead actually said that he believes that Sawyer Bridges is the best closer in college baseball. So, pretty high praise for the kid out of mm. Somerville. Um, and, you know, fully expecting to have a really, really big-time season for South Carolina. A guy that I believe – I've got the stats pulled up here – had a 1.35 ERA for South Carolina in 21 appearances, 33 innings pitched. That's pretty um, good for a closer. I mean, like, yeah, three pretty decent for any reliever or a closer. Yeah, yeah, for, no, no doubt. And honestly, last year the closer was more so. Well, you look, Sawyer Bridges had five saves a year ago. Graham Lawson got a lot of the work late in the season for South Carolina. He threw a lot of big time innings for them late in the season. Graham Lawson and Logan Chapman, two guys both out actually this season with Tommy John surgery. I'm assuming all South Carolina fans pretty much knew that. But those two guys, unfortunately, I think Logan Chapman would have been a huge, huge piece for South Carolina this year in the starting rotation. I think he's a guy that I know I would have at least projected to be in that starting rotation, probably filling that Sunday role. But I think South Carolina, you've got to feel really, really good. And then we talk about the newcomers. I'm sorry, I didn't even touch on the newcomers. Again, I already talked about Dylan Harley, what he provides on the left side, Reed Morgan, Hunter Lehman, Wes Sweat, Daniel Lloyd are two freshmen. I think South Carolina fans should be very, very high on, especially Danny Lloyd, the freshman of the Somerville, a guy that's low to mid-90s for South Carolina, a guy that I've heard from different people that he's really come on um, for South Carolina. He, I expect him to pitch a lot of innings this year. Cole Ganopoulos, a transfer. He actually went to Auburn, I believe, his first season transferred. I believe he went to JUCO after and is with South Carolina with South Carolina now uh, provides another left-handed arm out of the bullpen. If you remember, Tom South Carolina only had one lefty a year ago. That was John Gilreath, um, and he was literally their only option as a left-handed pitcher. This year, now you've got Gilreath, Hardly, and Cole Ganopoulos, a guy that again has sort of a funky throwing motion, kind of throws from the side, if you will, but has really, really good movement, really deceptive, has a great slider from everything I've heard from Skylar Mead. You also have guys like Gage Henson. Cam Tringali, the redshirt freshman there, actually really, really high on. He's been sitting low to mid-90s with his fastball. Uh, so, overall, Tommy, I think that even when you lose your two frontline starters in Adam Hill and Cody Morris, I think this pitching staff is in much, much better position in 2019 to have a really, really solid year for South Carolina and to be a strength of this team. I mean, I don't think any of them could strike me out personally, but they're probably all quality guys. I mean, no, nah, in all seriousness, I think I think they're a lot better this year. I think they have a lot more depth. Like, I, I mean, we talked about last year before the show that you know my dad was literally like, if they have to beat Arkansas too, because they're not going to have the pitching to day three to last, and it was obvious they didn't have the pitching in day three to last the entire series. But I mean, they could, you know, if they don't think they have the the, when it comes to the frontline pitching, the regular starters on the weekends, they could go to the Red Sox method of, you know, occasionally just pitching just five relievers in one game. I mean, that's always an option. And so, yeah, no, you bring up a great point, Tom. That's something I didn't even touch on is that a lot of people have been asking Coach Kingston, Coach Mead about the opener tactic, which is something that was made very popular by the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays a year ago. The Oakland Athletics also tried it in the postseason, basically for those of you listening that don't know what the opener method is, is, it's basically when you use a reliever, maybe even a closer, to start the game for you or open the game, if you will, and get the first three outs, get the first six outs, um, pitch the first inning or two. And it really allows the starting pitcher to come in after and face the middle or bottom of the lineup to start out his outing. And apparently through statistics, through analytics, it has shown that it's 
um, you know, improves the outings for the starters, something like that. Maybe I'm just old school. I'm just going to tell you this, folks. I don't think there's any chance in hell that we see that opener tag. I, again, I think it's something great to look into. I don't think it's a bad – maybe for midweek, I think so, um, more so. But I think South Carolina is going to be very set on finding their top three starters for the weekend. I just – you know, again, I'm not, you know, Billy Bean. I'm not these guys that go through the baseball analytics. I, I don't – you know, I, I feel like baseball is a game that's a very traditional game that you shouldn't try to – manipulate in crazy different type of ways but again they're obviously open to all new ideas you want to be in the know for everything going on but I think that's more so and again I don't think this opener thing they're talking about I don't think it's necessarily a new concept um I've just always known of as like Johnny Holstaff like who are you throwing today Johnny Holstaff which basically means we don't have a starter for today we're throwing five or six relievers like you're talking about Tom so I don't know. I think they've just kind of popularized it, gave it a name, you know, sort of deal. But I would be – I will just say this. I'd be very, very surprised if they actually, on the weekends especially, go with this opener tactic as uh, people have talked about. But overall, again, I feel really, really good about the South Carolina Gamecocks pitching staff. I think there's – you know, there are a lot of guys that are new. There are a lot of fresh faces. But I feel like there is a lot more depth, which I really believe – is going to not only help South Carolina, obviously, in the weekend. Their bullpen is fantastic, and I think South Carolina – listen, their starters, as long as you can get through the sixth, I think your seventh, eighth, ninth is pretty much covered up. I mean, you got you have a guy like T.J. Shook, Ridge Chapman, Sawyer Bridges, Reed Morgan, Cam Tringali, Gage Henson. I mean, you have a lot of – you know, even John Gilreath come out of the bullpen if needed for a longer stint. you got a lot of guys in the bullpen back there that have a lot of talent, some really, really good arms. Um, so, very, very I mean, excited. Yeah, go ahead. Again, none of them can strike me out. So, like, I don't know how good they are. No, no, trust me, Tom, nobody can strike you out. So, very, very, very excited for what this pitching staff can do in 2019, and especially, I think, under Skylar Meade's tutelage for a second season. I think South Carolina fans are going to see a much more aggressive, a much more polished, sharpened pitching staff. I don't think you're going to see nearly the walk South Carolina had a year ago. And under the Gamecocks a year ago, we're sitting at a 4.41 ERA. I think you're going to see that actually improve in 2019. All right, let's talk about the hitters. Talk about the lineup a little bit. Um, A new look lineup for 2019, Tom. Obviously, the majority of the losses as far as the seniors, the draft picks, were in the lineup. Um, I want to start with kind of the biggest storyline, in my opinion, of the position players. And maybe one of the biggest things that I think South Carolina's success in 2019 for this baseball team really centers around. And it is, can T.J. Hopkins – stay healthy for the entire season. South Carolina a year ago, I think they were 21-9 and nine when he suited up. So there was no secret this is a better baseball team when T.J. Hopkins is in the lineup. I think he has a positive impact on the entire lineup. It's just a matter of keeping him on the field healthy. I mean, it literally went from everything to I think he messed up his wrist last season. He messed up his back, which was the really, really big one that sidelined him for a while. But T.J. Hopkins to me, Tom, is truly the catalyst at the top of this lineup and in this – in this clubhouse and on the field for South Carolina that really makes this whole engine go. I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, what type of season T.J. Hopkins can have because Mark Kingston has talked about him before. When healthy, he is an all-SEC, all-American caliber type player. There's no question in my mind. And it really, Tom, you know, it's very interesting. This sort of situation relates almost to football from, for, to me where it's like with the whole Debo Samuel question. It's a lot of – XYZ team success depends on if ABC can stay healthy. And I think that's a huge, huge question mark going in this season. No, I mean, can, I guess you can kind of compare him. He's the 
Debo Samuel, the baseball team, is he's a huge impact guy when he's out there, and obviously the team's better. He's a guy that's been around the program for a while and is obviously, like you said, a very good player. And I feel like I see every day people talking about just how good he is at practice and how much he's improved. And, you know, for a player of his caliber to be improving and keep playing better, that just shows that – it just shows how much respect I guess he gets from the rest of the team. So obviously he's gotten respect from media too. So yeah, I feel like if he can be have a successful season, then the team will probably have a successful season too. But he has to stay yeah. healthy. No, yeah, I hundred percent agree. And I mean, I think it's again one of those deals where you heard Coach Kingston talk about him. If he's healthy, which I, listen, I fully expect everything we've heard. He's practicing full go. I don't think his health's even an issue. Um, I fully expect him one hundred and ten percent to be healthy. I think he will stay healthy throughout this entire season because. I think they're much more aware of it now. T.J. Hopkins actually talked about in an interview a couple weeks ago. You know, at one point he was taking five, 600 swings a day, a guy that, you know, loves to work hard, loves the game. He's now limiting himself more 50, 100 swings a day, really taking care of his body. I think he's more aware of his body, listens to his body a little bit more, and a guy that has made it his number one priority to stay healthy in 2019. Because, listen – Everyone that goes to South Carolina and plays college baseball has aspirations of playing Major League Baseball or getting drafted or getting signed at some level. And certainly T.J. Hopkins falls in that bucket as well. So I definitely think T.J. Hopkins is a guy that has learned to listen to his body, is finally healthy, and I again, fully expect to have an All-SEC, even All-American caliber type year. One guy that's already been named preseason All-American and All-SEC in different outlets um, is second baseman Noah Campbell. Noah Campbell, a guy I am very, very excited about this upcoming season. Um, Went to the Cape Cod League. For those of you that maybe don't know what the Cape Cod League is, it's a collegiate wood bat league up in Cape Cod, up in the Northeast, um, where really the best go to play. I and mean, we're talking about guys from every D1 school you can think of, guys that are very much on the, uh, the MLB tracker, if you will. A lot of guys that get drafted, they play up in the Cape Cod League. You think that the great South Carolina baseball teams, guys like Jackie Bradley Jr., Matt Price, Whit Merrifield, um, just to name a few guys that play Michael Roth, they played on those Cape Cod teams. Um, so, yeah, Noah Campbell, a guy that, listen, I think was just scratching the surface a year ago. as a true freshman for South Carolina. You take a look at his stats. Uh, hit 270 for South Carolina, three home runs, 13 RBIs. A guy that I thought had a solid freshman campaign. Um, you take a look also at his running numbers. Let's see, he went seven for eight on stolen bases. T.J. Hopkins, by the way, 14 for 16, if that gives you any indication. And he only played in 30 games. So, um, yeah, I mean, 14 stolen bases, 30 games. That's pretty good. So, anyways, but Noah Campbell, seven for eight stolen bases, 270 batting average. I really think he was just scratching the surface a year ago what he can do for South Carolina. Going to be South Carolina's everyday second baseman in 2019. A guy, again, these awards didn't come for no reason. Preseason All-American, preseason All-SEC. He's a guy that's really, again, going to be a catalyst at the top of the lineup. And, I, you know, I'm not sure the lineup will shake out like this. I'm going to give my projected lineup in just a second, but – I think if you have Noah Campbell, T.J. Hopkins, 1-2, I think that might be the deadliest top of the lineup in the country. I, I really don't think there's a better 1-2 punch than those two guys right there at the top between a combination of power, of speed, um, guys who know the game, guys who can really do it all. They can hit the ball at the ballpark. They can drop a bunt down for a base hit. Um, they can situationally hit. I think it's just two guys that are really, really good baseball players, and I really think that fans – are going to see the success that Noah Campbell had at the Cape Cod level or the Cape Cod League really pay off for him. Mark Kingston's talked about he's a guy that came to came back to campus with a renewed sense of confidence, a guy that really, really learned and excelled at that level, almost won the MVP for the league, by the way. I forgot to mention that. So 
very excited what Noah Campbell can do. I think he'll fit in seamlessly at second, a guy who's got a very good glove. Um, and I fully expect him to hit over 300, his bat to really come around this year. I talked about already um, talking about Noah Campbell and TJ Hopkins. I think this lineup, Tom, is really a mix of speed and power. And I really honestly think this lineup that South Carolina is going to put out on the field opening day and throughout the season, I think we're going to see as much power from a South Carolina lineup as we've seen in a really, really long time. I know South Carolina fans remember, you know, Murderer's Row of Justin Smoke, Reese Havens, you know, James Darnell, Phil Disher, guys that literally guy after guy after guy could take you yard. Multiple home run guys. Um, and I, I'm not – listen, I'm not going to put those type of expectations on this lineup, but I think you're going to really see, for lack of a better term, the way I would phrase it, a Ray Tanner-esque lineup, a real Ray Tanner approach. You've got guys, again, with speed that can drop a bunt down. But I think a lot of this is – Mark Kingston's going to go let his guys swing it. I think you've got a lot of guys who are free swingers that have natural raw power. Again, a lot of newcomers with this lineup. Andrew Eister, Luke Berryhill, Josiah Seitler, Brady Allen, just to name a few that will be playing very, very significant time. Also, Nick Neville, George Khalil uh, in the infield. Um, I know you know who Justin Smoke is, Tom. Mark Kingston, the preseason, said that Josiah Seitler has Smoke-esque power. Justin Smoke-esque power. Mm. Now, Justin Smoke, for those who know me well, Justin Smoke is probably my favorite Gamecock baseball player of all time. I just grew up kind of watching Justin Smoke. I've never seen a guy so smooth on a baseball field. To compare Josiah Seitler to Justin Smoke, a guy who was taken, I believe, 11th overall, literally is the South Carolina career record holder for home runs, RBIs, basically any power offensive category you can think of is huge, huge praise for a true freshman in Josiah Seitler. Yeah, I mean, obviously Justin Smoke's a very good player and has been a very good player in MLB for a long time. But, I mean, I look at the lineup and I know Noah Campbell, TJ Hopkins, Chris Call, and Jacob Olson, and that's all the names I know off the top of it. That doesn't mean that I don't – I think there's a lot of unknowns from just an outsider's perspective like me, the casual fan – but I think, I mean, most people that I talk to that have a big, like a very big knowledge of this team are very confident in what they're going to do. And obviously with that kid that hit the freaking scoreboard right beside the visitors <laughs> thing, and I think another guy hit it over the scoreboard today, which yeah, I don't think was, possible. That was, that was put out today. Ian Jenkins hit it over, over yeah. the scoreboard. So, I mean, Crazy. if you have guys who are doing those kind of things, I mean – we might not win every game, but if we're like the Yankees and just hit 500 home runs, I mean, I've watched a couple games. <laughs> no doubt. You know, I, I mean, I'm – you know, that was Andrew Eister that obviously hit the scoreboard, the new scoreboard at South Carolina. I think they they estimated that home run 512 feet, I think. I mean, which is a – oh, my God, it's a bomb. Um, but, yeah, no, I feel really, really good about these newcomers. I really think they've got some guys that can really swing the bat. Again – the thing that I think should make South Carolina fans feel better if you're saying, well, you know, especially the casual fan, like you're talking about Tom, that's like, oh, we haven't seen these guys. Like, what gives you confidence that, you know, some new guy is going to come in and be able to handle this level of, of play? Most of these guys are not true freshmen. Most of them are – most of them are like JUCO transfers. So, they've played a very high level of baseball before. And, I mean, honestly, again, these are highly rating guys. I, I don't think it's a situation where they're going to be there, – there's nothing in the SEC these guys have not seen. Let me put it that way. Um, Josiah Seitler, even being a true freshman, 12th round overall pick by the Cincinnati Reds 
uh, over out of high school. He chose to come to college. For those of you that don't know, 12th round is very good. 12th round, let me put it this way. <laughs> 12th round is a very, very high draft selection to pass on coming out of high school. So if Josiah Seitler is coming to South Carolina and passing on the 12th round, basically what Josiah Seitler is thinking or saying or being told is that you can go higher than 12th round. You're good mm-hmm. enough to come to South Carolina, be productive enough, be good enough to go top 10 rounds. And if Josiah Seitler is a top 10 rounder by the time he's a junior, he's going to have had a pretty damn good South Carolina career. He's going to have hit a lot of home runs. I can tell you that right now because if you're drafted, if you're drafted top 10 rounds in the MLB draft, you're a pretty darn good player. Like you are making a pretty big impact at the college level. You're hitting over 300 with probably hitting over 350, to be honest with you at that point. So again, Mark Kingston is a guy, Tom, that even with the uncertainties with South Carolina, I just feel like you listen to him talk baseball. He's not a guy that really beats around the bush or BSs you or anything like that. I think he's really a guy that you hear him talk about this lineup, talk about these new guys that have come in. You have to feel good about it. I mean, you just hear about, again, the power in the bats. I really think South Carolina is going to go back to a much more free-swinging approach. I love, I just love the simple, simple fact they've got guys that can really do both. Again, a mix of speed and power. Um, one of the big questions going into the lineup for South Carolina, Tom, in my opinion, is obviously one guy you lose from last year's team is Hunter Taylor, a guy behind the plate that really didn't do a ton his first couple years in Columbia, but had a fantastic senior season. I'll read off the stats here for you in case you guys forgot. Hunter Taylor hit 261, um, but had nine home runs, 34 RBIs, was a great defensive catcher, and was a real leader in the clubhouse for South Carolina. Really turned into a really, really nice baseball player for the Gamecocks, but the biggest question, I think one of the biggest questions, Tom, definitely in my opinion, is what can Chris Cullen do this year? Because he's a guy that this is his last go around. He's a he's a senior this year, um, really struggled a year ago. Hit 193 home runs, 15 RBIs, but a guy that they've talked about is finally healthy, a guy that had really battled uh, through some injuries really the past two seasons. He's finally healthy. I believe he lost 15 or 20 pounds, has really slimmed down. Um, Mark Kingston has given him tons and tons of praise in the preseason has really kind of echoed that whole having a Hunter Taylor-esque senior season. He really believes Chris Cullen's going to do that. And, you know, Tom, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued and very interested to see what Chris Cullen can do because when you look at him, um, I don't have officially how, how big he is pulled up, but he, I would imagine he's like a 6'4", 6'5", guy. Um, and you look at him just at the plate, and to me – I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy that should hit double-digit home runs. I mean, there's no question. This guy's so big, so strong. You know, it's just when is he going to break out? And I, I really think it would be a huge, huge major boost for the South Carolina lineup if Chris Cullen can finally figure it out and sort of sort of be the guy for South Carolina behind the plate. Yeah, I mean, it seems like last year, this is kind of a bad thing to say, like, Every game that I watch, it seemed like Chris Cullen, if he was playing, struck out in. And I don't know if that's a no, that's I mean, true. That's, I mean, that's not a bad – I mean, listen, maybe not every time he was at the plate, obviously, he struck out. But you look at the numbers, had 28 strikeouts uh, and 116 at-bats. So, I mean, you know, not, not a terrible amount of strikeouts, but a, a guy that just – a guy that just swung big and missed big. His strikeouts looked very bad, too. They were very noticeable because he was a guy that yeah. really – a year ago, really long swing – and was really kind of go for broke. And, I mean, it just did not bode well for him at all. 
I mean, listen, if you're getting quality at-bats from your catcher, that means your offense is doing pretty well. At least, I mean, at least from what I know in baseball, your catcher is usually not going to be one of your better hitters. So if you can get that out of your catcher, then obviously he's a decent defensive player. Then that's a pretty good a pretty good sign for the rest of your team, too. Yeah, no, the catcher position's definitely been a good battle between Chris Cohen and Luke Berryhill. From everything I'm hearing, I mean, I, I think – if I had to pick right now, Cullen's going to be your opening day catcher. I mean, you've got a really good option. But listen, the guy who hits is going to play. There's just no question. The guy, the way that it works in college, see, it's a little bit different in the MLB because, you know, some guys – I mean, there, listen, there are some guys in the MLB that aren't great hitters, but they are there because their glove is so undeniably good. You can't take I mean, them out of the lineup. You can't take them out of the field. That's um, the Red Sox, like, catchers in <laughs> – Right, right, like right. And I'm not, and I'm not saying they're they're bad hitters by the sense of like they they can't hit a baseball. I mean they're just they're just not exceptional hitters at the MLB level, which is a lot of people. But in college, if you can hit, because runs, it's all about scoring runs. Pitching isn't quite as good at college, um, especially with the aluminum bats. If you can hit, you're going to play. Period. Point blank. Luke Berryhill's a guy we've heard a ton about. He's got a ton of raw power. Has some real pop. Right now, I mean. Mark Kingston already said he's a guy. If he's not, if he's not behind the plate, he's going to be the DH. So fully expecting the lineup. But I think Chris Cohen, from what I've heard, everything I've heard from him and the preseason scrimmages, Chris Cohen's been fantastic behind the plate. I heard he actually threw out Noah Campbell, which is like threw him out by a mile. Good sign. Very very good sign. I mean, again, a guy that another guy that's really taking things seriously, gotten his body in shape, really taking care of his body. He's finally fully healthy and. You know, I, I think that hitting 275, 280 with 10 home runs and 40 RBIs, I think that's a realistic goal for Chris Cohen. I really do. I think he's a guy that could really have that type of production for South Carolina. And to me, he's almost the X factor. I, I, you know, I say he is the X factor. I think if Chris Cohen can have that type of season, this lineup could be truly, truly deadly. Because when I look at Chris Cohen, in my opinion, in my eyes, he's a prototypical five-hole hitter. He's not quite good enough to be in the four-hole you know, maybe doesn't have quite that kind of pop, but he's a guy that definitely can smash the baseball. No question in my mind. I think he, he comes off to me as a prototypical five-hole hitter and a guy, again, that can have a huge impact for South Carolina. Another big-time uh, position battle, Tom, I just want to touch on really quickly. Um, that I think's pretty much been decided, but shortstop. Obviously, no more Madison Stokes. Um, did great work for the Gamecocks. He's obviously gone playing minor league baseball. Um, Nick Neville and George Khalil have been batting for this position. Two guys, Tom, I'm sure you've never heard of, <laughs> both junior college guys. Uh, it sounds like Nick Neville is going to get the start on opening day, a guy that I think is an, a better a – better than ex- will be a better than expected hitter um, and a guy that I've heard has been making some web, web gym-type plays for South Carolina in the field. Uh, George Khalil, I think, actually right now is hurt. Sounds like he can't swing a bat for about two or two weeks or so. So I think by default, Neville's going to be your starting shortstop. And I think in that period, he's going to really have the chance to solidify the job. I think he was going to be the starting shortstop either way, but I think we'll really have a chance to solidify that job. But you're going to, you're going to have a lot of guys move around the infield, um, a lot of guys that can play multiple positions, including our guy Jacob Olson. You talked about him time a little bit earlier at third base. Um, I think that's another huge storyline for South Carolina is how does Jacob Olson make the transition from – the outfield to the infield because again taking over for Jonah Bride a guy that was so solid at third base I think he had like a nine nine sixty nine fielding percentage which is exceptional um, I think if Olsen can match that or obviously anything higher would be a huge success for him but um, is another guy Tom I'm sort of looking to step up because Olsen again 
not to the level of Chris Cullen, but Jacob Olson, I thought that last year um, hit 234, 12 homers, 36 RBIs, a real just go for broke guy. I mean, he's either hitting a home run or he's striking out. That's really how it felt. Had, had 49 strikeouts on the year uh, a year ago. And is a guy, Tom, again, you've watched him a little bit. I, I think is really a guy, can he step up for South Carolina and be, you know, hit 275, 280, maybe even break 300, I think would be a huge plus for this lineup. No, nah, I mean, where I thought Olsen played in the infield last year. I could be off, dude. He he I may mean, have played. He may have played a couple of innings. I can take a look at that. But he was primarily outfield. You take wasn't a Campbell an outfielder last year too? No, yeah, it's because you had uh, Justin Rowe at second base. Yeah, a lot, oh, a lot yeah. of changes in regards to that because you've got. We're about to go through the lineup, but you're going to have Icer and Allen in the outfield and uh, Noah Campbell. But he's he he was a guy that came in could play multiple positions. I mean, that, that there's I no mean, in that. But Justin Rowe played 46 games at second. LT Tolbert played 12. Noah Campbell played two. So, I mean, you had Tolbert and Justin Rowe playing all those, and I think I, – I don't think Olsen actually played in the infield. I think – no, it was Jonah Bride. Chris Cullen played third. I think that Jonah Bride is what I'm thinking of. He had the glasses. He played, yeah, 60 games at third. He played basically every game at third base. Yeah, well, I mean, my thing is third base from my traditional baseball standpoint, especially one of your power hitting positions and one of your more, more reliable guys. And if you're only getting 240 out of your guy from third base in college, that's not good at all. Like, I mean – you should be hitting at least 270, 280 in college. It can be, I would think to be considered a pretty decent hitter. Like, most of the better guys in college baseball are hitting in the 300 at least. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I just think it'll be – it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think Jacob Olson, a guy that hit – honestly, you take a look last year, where did he hit most? The eighth spot. He hit 35 games there. He was in the number eight spot. I think he's way too good of a hitter to be that low in the lineup. It's crazy. When you take a look at this lineup, Tom, like, you're going to have – no matter what, I don't think any way you slice it, like you're going to have a stud down seven, eight, nine. Like South Carolina's lineup, I mean, if the that's a big if if these young guys pan out the way we think they are, but all indications are telling us it's going to be a seamless transition. These guys are really going to be able to show out. I mean, this is this lineup is looking pretty good. Let's jump in the projected lineup for 2019. How I think it's going to look on a on Friday against Liberty. Um, my projected lineup: I've got Noah Campbell leading off, playing second. Um, T.J. Hopkins in center in the two-hole. Nick Neville at shortstop in the three-hole. Andrew Eister, the left fielder, uh, the cleanup hitter. In the five-hole, I've got Chris Cullen. I, I think they're going to give him an opportunity in the five-hole. I've got Chris Cullen catching. Um, in the six-hole, I've got Luke Berryhill as, as the designated hitter. Again, a newcomer with a lot of power. Um, in the seven-hole, I've got Jacob Olson, the third baseman. Uh, in the eight-hole, I've got Josiah Seitler at first base. And then finally rounding out ninth in the order, Brady Allen in right field. Again, like I talked about, Tom, I mean, you look at seven, eight, nine, Olsen, Seitler, Allen. Again, this is projected. This may change, but I mean, Olsen, Seitler, Allen, that is, <laughs> that's, I mean, I, I can think as a pitcher, that, that's not exactly who I want to see coming up at the bottom of a lineup, especially a guy, again, if Seitler is, is half as good as Mark Kingston has talked about having Justin Smoke esque power, um, you better not make a mistake to the bottom of South Carolina's lineup. So I, I just think it's, it's very, very exciting for South Carolina. I really do think there, there are questions. Obviously, there are questions. No doubt there are questions on, you know, in this lineup, on this team. But I think there aren't any questions that any other team doesn't have right now going into the season. So, I think South Carolina fans have every right, every bit to be very excited. It's a team I believe they averaged scoring just over five and a half runs a year ago. Um, I think South Carolina no doubt can hit that mark again and 
possibly even increase it. I really do believe that South Carolina is going to have, um, like I said, a good mix of power, of speed, of guys that, again, these newcomers that – I mean, literally, Tom, I'm not sure if you saw this. Mark Kingston said that Andrew Eister, he already called him one of the best hitters in the country. And the guy hasn't played a game at South I mean, Carolina yet. Pretty good. Pretty so, good that, is, that is pretty high praise, again, for a guy that has not even played a game yet. So, um, it, you know, this isn't like football. I really do believe that when – Coach Kingston says something like stuff like that's not coach speak. I know in football, obviously, we talk a lot about football. There's a lot of gamesmanship. There's a lot of this. And I really feel in baseball, I think Coach Kingston sees the talent on his roster. I think he knows it's new. I think he knows it's guys that haven't played this level before. But again, these are guys that have played, they've seen everything. They've played high level baseball. Um, and I fully expect these guys, again, the best, th- the best part about college baseball, you had the first two, three weeks of non conference play to figure you know, it out. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. You're not playing top competition. No offense to Liberty. No offense to Utah Valley. No offense. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're going to get to that in a second. But, um, you know, you have a chance to really see what these guys can do. And I think you have a chance to experiment with your lineup a little bit, maybe put some guys in, really figure out who your core nine guys are, maybe or top 12 or top 15 position players are before you get an SEC play. Um, you talked about Clemson, Tom. You talked about some other things. Let's talk about the biggest question surrounding this team as we head into, into opening day. What's your biggest question um, for South Carolina as we head into uh, the season? Can we beat Clemson? Because if not, you can catch me not watching a single baseball game this year. <laughs> Oh, snap. Well, I mean, I think the bigger question is can we beat Clemson because we haven't beaten them in a single men's sport in what feels like 20 years. Forever? (laughs) I mean, I I don't really remember the last men's sport that beat Clemson. Obviously, South Carolina's beaten Clemson in baseball. Can we win the series, though, is the bigger key. I I think, uh, you know, go ahead. The the man of my nightmares isn't in Clemson anymore, Seth Beard. So. I'm willing to say we beat Clemson this year. Yeah, no, I mean, we're obviously going to have – we have some special announcements coming up as far as regarding the uh, the Carolina-Clemson baseball series. But, yeah, thank God Seth Beer is no longer wearing purple and orange. Thank God he's in the minor leagues. And um, that should be a fun one. That should be a really good series. Uh, my biggest question surrounding this team, Tom, is simply the starting pitching. I just think that's kind of where you have to – you have to start whenever you're replacing your top two weekend arms. I think that has to be – the first thing you take a look at, I have full confidence in those guys. I think South Carolina is going to have a very good starting three. But, you know, I mean, we saw – I think we saw last year that, you know, despite the good performances that Adam Hill had in the non-conference, I think we saw at times that there was definitely an adjustment that Adam Hill had, Adam Hill had to make going from the, the Sunday guy to the Friday guy. I think that's a huge deal. I think being the Friday night guy in the SEC or really at any, you know, any program, that, that is a huge responsibility and a big thing to – to shoulder. So I'm very interested to see how Carmen Majinski handles that. Um, I, you know, I expect him again to be very, very sharp in non-conference play. Um, but I think what we're really going to start seeing is once we get to the Clemson series, once we get an SEC play, we're really going to learn um, about the starting rotation. And I'm very interested, very excited to watch those guys. Um, I think again, South Carolina is on a good trajectory. I think South Carolina has got a ton of talent. Again, you have a lot of new faces, but I think they're all, you know, it's a, it's a ton of talent at South Carolina this year, and I, I fully expect South Carolina to capitalize on it. Speaking of that, um, the 2019 season will be a success if, uh, Tom, I'll start with this one. To me, the 2019 season will be a success for South Carolina. Finish third or higher in the SEC East. South Carolina was picked to finish fourth in the East this year. I'd like to see South Carolina fin- finish third or higher. Um, 
I think they can finish ahead of the Georgia Bulldogs, if nothing else. I know you have Florida, Vandy. Those are kind of the top two right now in the SEC East. But I'd like third or higher and a repeat trip to the Super Regionals. Um, You know, I think that this team – I think this team's good enough to get back to that level. I think South Carolina's good enough to at least get back to the Super Regional round. Will they host? I have no idea. Will they host a regional? I have no idea. But I think South Carolina's good enough to get back to the Supers. I think they sort of, you know, we obviously know the goal every single season for South Carolina baseball is Omaha. There's no question about that. There's no secret. Um, but I definitely think they set the precedent, precedent last year that this, get at least getting the Super Regionals with a Mark Kingston coach ball club is definitely a possibility. Um, Tom, 2019 season be a successful be will be a success for you if what they win the college world series i mean <laughs> i have only the highest expectations because this is our best program so hey, you gotta do fair. what you gotta do fair you know what that that is very fair because you know and i don't think south Carolina baseball would want it any other way either because you think would alabama football want the expectations to be anything but a but a national championship would duke basketball want the expectations to be anything but a national championship yeah, I don't. I think I don't think so. People thrive on that. You love it. You love having the expectations. And I think, again, obviously, you know, South Carolina's goal is Omaha. I don't think that ever changes throughout any season. I think the goal is Omaha, and anything short of that is, I don't want to say a failure, but you didn't reach your goal. That that's kind of the bottom line. Um, all right, let's get into some predictions for 2019. I think this is very very fun. I'll let you go first, and I kind of want to dive into my predictions for the. Uh, for the 2019 season. What, what do you think? What do you think the Gamecocks do at Mark Kingston's second year? I mean, you just heard what my predict, not my prediction, you heard what my success would be. So our predictions are obviously go to the College World Series. Like, for not doing you went, you made it to the Super Regionals and you were like a starting pitcher short and you basically replaced everybody loose from last year. And Mark Kingston's a, a year older and a year better at coaching. He has to be. So go to the freaking College World Series. I don't know. I mean, don't make excuses for yourself. Well, I mean, unless the entire team gets hurt, then, yeah, I mean, kind of understandable. Please, but. please don't put the football juju on the baseball team. I, I don't think Dude. I can personally handle that. I mean, I couldn't either. But, <laughs> obviously, I'm the baseball guy here. I know a lot, about more about, a lot more about baseball than Chris does. This team's going to the College World Series, and you can you can bet how much, ever you, much you want on my bookie right now and use our promo code Spurs up or whatever. I think it's the, I think it's Spurs up. Yeah, it's Spurs and you yeah. code Spurs up and then bet what hammer whatever our our predictions are for that. And I promise you'll win whatever my money. I don't. I mean, I'm just telling you what it is. I don't even know if you can bet on college baseball yet, but that would actually be a very fun bet to make. I'm not gonna lie. Like bet all is it, is it 16 or 8 teams to make it to the college world series? I think it's eight, right? It's eight. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so bet on us is one to eight, and you'll win a lot of cash. There you go. That, that's a pretty solid prediction there. Um, yeah, my prediction for the 2019 baseball season, listen, I think South Carolina, again, I think there are questions all over the place, but I think South Carolina has has more than answered those questions. I think that um, South Carolina has almost addition by subtraction, if you will. I think South Carolina is going to be better in some spots um, where maybe South Carolina had some guys a year ago that, Listen, we're really, really good players, but I think at South Carolina, you reload. I mean, you, there is no rebuild as Gamecocks baseball. You reload. Or you, you, uh, yeah, you reload. So, I think that while there are some questions, I expect the guys in the lineup to be very, very good. I expect there to be a power surge in Columbia this spring. Um, I think the pitching staff will really come together. I think Dylan Harley is going to be a guy that people maybe aren't talking about right now. Most South Carolina fans don't even know who he is, but Dylan Harley is going to be a guy that Gamecock fans are going to get to know very, very quickly. I think Carmen Majinski will really – 
uh, bowed in that Friday night role. And I think Skylar Mead, the impact to him, I think the pitching staff is going to take the biggest jump from year one to year two. You know, it's funny with the predictions because I was thinking about today, and like, you know what, with all the questions, I think South Carolina's a team that get to the regionals. And I don't know, I don't know that they get to the super regionals in 2019 I think they might be asking a little bit much because when you get into postseason play it's all about pitching and pitching depth but South Carolina does have that more so for me is that I don't see a scenario which will South Carolina you know because I I talked about this before will South Carolina host a regional this year I don't know I'm not I don't really know you know there's a lot that goes into that there's a lot of factors will South Carolina finish with a good enough record I think they'll be right there it wouldn't shock me at all, obviously. I mean, I think that's certainly the goal for South Carolina to host a regional, um, no doubt. But to me, either way, no matter what, if South Carolina gets in the regionals, I just don't see a scenario where they lose. I just don't see a scenario where South Carolina gets knocked out of the regional round. Like, it, it doesn't feel right to even say it. So I think South Carolina, at a minimum, I think they get back to the Super Regionals um, I'm going to say that it ends like last year. They lose in that third game, sets them up for a huge 2020. You're basically having everybody come back. I think Gamecocks, I'll say now, I think they make Omaha in 2020. Um, but I think I'm going to say right now, again, being trying to be as realistic as possible, maybe even a conservative pick, I think South Carolina gets the Super Regionals, loses in game three. Um, you know, it just again, but there's a lot that can change depending on the matchups, depending on all that stuff. Um, but I think South Carolina has a very, very good year. Mark Kingston's second year and sets up again, getting the program back to where it was 2010 to 2012, which is going to Omaha basically every single year. So I think a huge, huge year for South Carolina, good year, Mark Kingston's second campaign or second season, if you will. And it should be a lot of fun to watch. Um, all right. So yeah, that's going to wrap up our baseball preview. At least, um, if you guys have any questions, obviously tweet at us, tweet at me. Um, I'll be doing obviously a ton of series previews, recaps, I should be giving my official predictions. If you're listening to this on Wednesday today uh, or sometime this week, we'll have like a full written baseball preview as well. So however you want to consume it, whether you want to consume it via audio, video, a written article, we're going to have baseball previews, the baseball preview, season preview covered in any type of way, however you want to consume it. Um, All right, so let's get into some other news and notes. Let's talk some basketball. Tom Gamecocks beat Arkansas on Saturday in a wild, wild and probable game, wild and probable win. I think South Carolina was down as much as, what, 15 or something? I, I'm not even sure how much it was. South Carolina looked dead. Looked dead in the water. Um, Gamecocks find a way to come back, move to 7-3 and three in SEC play, play the Tennessee Volunteers tomorrow or today, whenever you're listening to this, um, which is a big oof. But let's talk about that game against Arkansas, man. I mean, this team continuing to fight back. I mean, I remember specifically watching that game I remember specifically Mike Coatsar getting dunked on like a guy that should have just quit basketball literally there on the spot. And all South Carolina does is go on some 40 to 15 run, I think it was, and win the game by double digits. I mean, what what can you really say about Frank Martin's squad at this point? I mean, it's just – it's crazy. I mean, those guys are fighters. Obviously, it was a big game with the retirement of Mac. Uh, glad that they ended his uh, career at the university on a good note, but – I mean, 7-3 in SEC play, I don't think anyone could have expected that. Will they go into, will they go into Tennessee tomorrow and no, win? Absolutely. I doubt it. But if absolutely they have a good not. showing, it's going to help, I guess, that they have a good loss against a team like Tennessee. But other than that, I mean, Tennessee is coming off a loss. So can, well, no, that's Kentucky lost tonight. I'm mixing my games up. It's late, man. But, uh, 
I mean, it's a good sign that they're winning. I mean, if they beat UT or they lose UT and only have one other loss, I mean, that's a, only five losses in SEC play is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think even more so than the current present. I mean, just looking ahead for South Carolina basketball, I mean, how can you not be fired up about A.J. Lawson, Keyshawn Bryant? I mean, yeah. those two dudes were phenomenal Saturday. I mean, those two dudes were outstanding. I mean, you got good performances, again, from Chris Silva. Um some other guys, but man, AJ Lawson and Keyshawn Bryant look like some real ball players. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, the biggest job I think Frank Martin has now is keeping those guys in Columbia because, you know, I'd heard for AJ Lawson at least that the NBA draft could even be a possibility. Um, Frank Martin, you got to keep them on campus. That is the biggest thing. I think it would be detrimental to lose those guys, um, keep them on campus because they've got bright, bright futures in Columbia, no doubt. Um, like you were saying, I mean, play Tennessee. In Knoxville, listen, I, I don't think any South Carolina fan should expect South Carolina to win that game. To me, I talked about this a little bit last week. It, it's not, at this point, not so much about South Carolina winning. You know, it, South Carolina really doesn't need to pull any upsets, but they can't lose any of the swing games, and they can't lose any of the ones they should win. That's the biggest thing. Um, so, I mean, the Tennessees, the even the LSUs, you know, the Kentuckys, I mean, it's – come on, you're, you're – we all know we're, you're reaching a little bit. I mean, it would take a it would take a monumental performance from South Carolina to beat Tennessee. And I mean, you already saw what happened in Columbia. South Carolina loses by yeah. double digits. It really was not close. So I'm expecting probably more of the same tomorrow. I, the spread will come out. I'll, I'll obviously have my best bet tomorrow. I assume the spread's going to be around 12, 20. 14, 16. So I, I mean, if know. it's like only 15, I'd probably bet in favor of Tennessee. Ever bet. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, like it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, might not be a terrible bet. I'm pulling up the schedule now because I want to take a look kind of what's ahead, too. Um, let's see here. I got it pulled up. Let's see. But, yeah, I, I, I just don't think you're, you know, going into Knoxville, which would move South County in 12-12, and 7-4, and four, which would make your next stretch of upcoming games. You play Texas A&M at home, Ole Miss at home, at Mississippi State, home against Alabama, at Missouri, at A&M against Georgia. So, really, your toughest gauntlet, those teams, like I said, Murderers Row, Kentucky, Tennessee, maybe, again, you could throw LSU in there because they've been very good, but um, those games are over. I think all of the ones that are left after Tennessee are pretty winnable, especially the home games. Um, Georgia could be a tough one. Um, Ole Miss could definitely be a tough one. They're a pretty good team, but that one's at Colonial Life Arena. Um you know, you got to travel to Mississippi State, which is always a tough game in Starkville. Um, at Missouri should be a win. Texas A&M twice. So, again, there's there's some very interesting games coming up, in my opinion, Tom, that are really going to decide this season one way or the other, you know, kind of what direction it goes. So, should be I a mean, lot they're definitely – I think if they, you know, only finish like two or three games – if they finish like 13 and whatever or 12 and whatever, I still think they'd make the NIT. Like, I don't think that would be – a That'd be a question if they were talking about in conference play or like overall. Yeah, just in conference play. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, and and I think again, after the way this season started, the NIT would no one would welcome that. That would be a welcome, welcome turn. I mean, I don't think there'd be a fan base as excited about the NIT ever, South Carolina fans, if South Carolina makes the NIT this season. So, um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun to watch. Again, if nothing else, this South Carolina basketball team has shown they're going to be a fun team to watch every night they play because they're going to battle. Even if they get killed, I think they're going to battle. Um, moving into a little bit of football, because we've always got football to talk about. 
football recruiting, just want to touch up a little bit. Sal kind of moves up in the 247 rankings from 19th to 17th in the nation, thanks to decommitments from Southern Cal and FSU, um, which it sucks right now to be those two programs, which yeah. is cra- – I mean, can you imagine – Let's just rewind the clock. It's 2000, and we can say any time in the 2000s, really. It's the early 2000s, and I'm saying that I'd rather be a South Carolina fan than a Southern Cal or Florida State fan. I don't think anybody would. Do yourself there. Yeah. I mean, what's going on in Los Angeles and Tallahassee? I have literally no, especially Tallahassee. My God. My God. <laughs> Tallahassee is a. Uh, yeah. It's a rough, not going well. It's a rough place to be right now, for sure. All right. Let's get into your listener questions. There were I, I, I want to say I truly appreciate people that reached out on Instagram, left your listener questions. There were a ton of good listener questions here um, that I'm going to get pulled up in just a second. But we had a ton of good questions. I obviously put the question out, you know, doing the baseball preview series, leave us your baseball-specific questions, and we had a ton of them. Um, let's go ahead and get started with, let's see, Machinson3, I think that's how you say it. Matrixson three MVP of the season. I'm assuming you're saying who will be the MVP of the Gamecocks 2019 season. It's got to be TJ Hopkins, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. the guy is again. He's a smart. He's a spark plug. I really do believe. If not him, I think Noah Campbell. I think both will have similar seasons. But I think a guy TJ Hopkins. He's going to lay it out on the line. Lay it all out on the line for South Carolina as a senior, fully expecting of a huge year. Um, D Nelson underscore 19. Who is going to be in the weekend rotation? Talked about this a little bit earlier. I think you for sure Carmen Bajinski on Friday night. I think right now Dylan Harley sounds like he's going to be the Saturday starter again, 94-95 from the left side, really good breaking stuff. I mean, when you're throwing that hard as a left-handed pitcher, hard to leave you out of the starting rotation and with movement as well. I think the Sunday role right now, if I had to guess, is going to be Hayden Lehman, the junior college transfer. I think he's just a guy that is kind of experienced. Um, the right-hander has good stuff, but – be interesting to see kind of how that Sunday roll shakes out. I would not be shocked if South Carolina has a different Sunday guy or a different uh, a shakeup in their rotation before SEC play, if you will. Um, Adam underscore Madison 23. Should Luke Berryhill get the start over Chris Cullen? Um, I think it just depends. I mean, I think that they will be – I think the trigger obviously will be quicker. Chris Cullen, if he's not producing at the plate, listen, they've got other guys that can throw in that DH role. I think there are other guys that can hit. Um, they can put in that role. And Barry Hill, from everything I've heard, has been very, very solid behind the plate. Um, but I think Chris Cullen will have a solid season. So I think right now, I mean, listen, if Chris Cullen's earned the start, he's earned the start. I mean, I think whoever's earned that position should start. Um, but I think all you can do from that point is kind of go from what you see on the field and, you know, <clears throat> make adjustments accordingly. Um, Ranger Will Garrett. <laughs> Why are Baseball America and D1 Baseball so bad at their jobs? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I'm sure this is a response to my uh, my video that I put out Tuesday night. Or, excuse, yeah, no, uh, no, Monday night. Monday night. I don't know. Uh, listen, I'm not saying those guys are bad at their jobs. D1 Baseball, Baseball America, Perfect Game, Collegiate Baseball Newspaper, especially the guys at D1 Baseball. They do a really, really good job. I, I'd say they're honestly – you know, one of the best in covering Division One baseball, covering the SEC too. But I don't know. I don't understand the lack of respect for South Carolina. You're never going to convince me coming to, into a season that South Carolina is not a top, top 25 team. I just, you know, listen, I think a year ago there were a lot of – in 2017, I'm not sure if you knew this, Tom, 2017, South Carolina came in the season ranked fourth in the country. Um, D1 
did not have a great year. I don't know if they burned some people who do the AP Top 25 or the Top 25 of these different websites, and they're just kind of mad at South Carolina. They don't believe in them, whatever. But um, I, I just don't believe there's ever a season where South Carolina should come in and not be a Top 25 team. I mean, you look at teams that were in teams like Coastal Carolina, Wake Forest, Michigan was the one that truly, truly blew my mind. A team, Michigan won 32 games a year ago, didn't even make the postseason. You got them in the top 25. So it's tough for me to figure out. I mean, this is a team a year ago, again, that was a game away from Omaha. Um, so I don't know. I don't really have the answer, but I hope you enjoyed the video. <laughs> uh, Jack Dore, 18, thoughts on the pitching staff? Um, yeah, Jack, I mean, I feel good about the pitching staff overall. I think there's a lot more. There may be some more unknown faces than we've had, especially, you know, comparing to last year. Much, much more depth, though. And South Carolina is going to be much better for it. Um, I think you have a very, very deep bull, deep bullpen for sure. Um, and I think there are going to be, you know, the best thing about the pitching staff, the starting rotation, going back to the question earlier, is that there's a lot of competition. So if the Sunday guy, if Lehman goes out there, he's not too sharp the first couple of weeks, you've got other guys. I mean, you have other capable arms you can throw out there. So I'm very excited for this pitching staff. Um, Jackson Mark VM. Yeah, Jackson Mark VM. Postseason predictions. I already talked about it. I think South Carolina will go to the regionals. I think they'll win. I think they get back to the super regionals. From that point, sort of a crapshoot, I'm going to say they lose in game three. Um, but I think I fully expect South Carolina to make another deep postseason run. Um, C underscore at the 217. Who on the Gamecock baseball roster shows the most potential for a breakout season? I'm going to go with Chris Cullen. I mean, I really believe he's done everything right with his body. He's lost 15, 20, 25 pounds. Um, a guy that I think is a prototypical five-hole hitter and a guy that I've heard has really simplified his swing, has hit very, very well in the fall and the spring. I think a guy – I think Chris Cullen could have a huge season for South Carolina. I don't know if he'll hit 300, but I could definitely see him hitting like 275, 280 double-digit homers, 40, maybe even 50 RBIs. You never know. So I expect Chris Cullen to be that breakout guy. Um, Corby Long, 12. I'm hearing Chris Cullen behind the dish, so I'm guessing Luke Berryhill's the DH. That'd be correct. I think Mark Kingston's already said uh, Berryhill's going to be that DH, a guy with a ton of power. Uh, so he'll be definitely in the lineup. <clears throat> ben underscore DeRosia. Who do you think is the Sunday starter? Again, I've got Hayden Lehman, the Juco transfer, the Juco Reina pitcher. Um, okay, I like this question a lot. Will Rooney, 11. Will midweek starting pitching be better? Last year lost several CFC, PC, Furman, Citadel, et cetera. This is, I really like this question a lot because I think, again, one of the biggest, the biggest advantages that South Carolina has this season with all the competition for starters and guys that want to be starters is that the competition, one, it's only going to make all your guys better. But two, South Carolina's midweek staff or midweek starters, it's going to benefit that so much because, I mean, again, you're going to have quality, high-quality arms. I'm talking about SEC weekend arms that are going to pitch on Tuesday and Wednesday. And that's how you truly build a great program that can win 40, 45, 50 games in a season. I mean, really, is when you take a look at the teams like LSU, Florida, Vanderbilt, Oregon State last year, you know, the, you know any traditional powers or teams the last couple of years that have been – right there in Omaha. You look at South Carolina in 2010, 11, 12. They didn't just have great guys throwing on the weekends. I mean, they had guys pitching on Tuesday and Wednesdays that would start on the weekend at pretty much any other school. So I think South Carolina, again, you look at a guy like John Gilreath. He may be in the weekend rotation. I have no idea. 
he may be long relief for the weekend. But I think that um, if he's a guy, again, starting in the midweek, John Gilry, extremely capable arm. I mean, a guy that is extremely talented, um, you know, high 80s, low 90s with his fastball has been named. Actually, the, the player said he has the best changeup on the team. Um, which is extremely high praise, really good breaking stuff, really a bulldog in the mound, has a sense for how to pitch. Um, he's just one guy. I mean, even look at a guy like if TJ Shook, if he's a starter. I mean, you got super capable arms uh, that will be pitching midweek. So, I think, yes, I think that the – I think the – because there were a couple times last year, Tom, I really had to talk South Carolina fans off a ledge after South Carolina lost to the Citadel, to Furman, to Kyle Charleston. People get really, really upset in baseball when you lose a midweek game, what I try to explain to people is, listen, the season's long. Just If you listen to this show, South Carolina's going to lose a midweek game. It's going to piss you off. It's just going to happen. Just prepare yourself mentally. You cannot win every single game in baseball. It's just going to happen. But certainly limiting it, and I mean, because you you shouldn't lose those games. You look at the talent level, you shouldn't lose those games. Um, But again, I think last year South Carolina was put in a position where you're throwing you were throwing Carmen Majinski, Logan Chapman, were as good as those guys were. They were true freshmen. They really were kind of learning on the go out there, and I think South Carolina is going to be the beneficiary of having more experienced, more polished arms throwing on the midweek. So you, you should see, uh, you know, less less losses in those type of games. Um, <clears throat> Bruce 40 do we have the squad to make it to Omaha? That'll all be determined by the how if this lineup can mature, if this lineup can sort of live up to the billing as far as hitting for power, hitting for average, being a complete lineup, and the pitching staff. Can they really come together and be as good as advertised? Can the starting pitchers uh, be as good as advertised? Can maybe one or two guys step up that maybe we're not talking about? Um, <clears throat> I know you told me not to ask, Tom, and I'll do it. Real, Will Rooney, 11. He had such a good question about the midweek starting rotation. Uh, unrelated, tell Tom I enjoyed beating him in his last high school football game against GCS. I quarterbacked. So, do you want to tell us that story, Tom? Because I know you texted him about it earlier today. Uh, my senior year, I think I've told this on the podcast before, went up to 11 man from 8 man, so at Greenwood. For the, our, our game against Greenwood got canceled because of um there was like a hurricane or something, I can't remember. And basically, they couldn't make the trip because the roads were messed up. But uh, we had the same record in region and we had to go up to Greenwood to play a like it was basically a game like a college basketball game almost it was we played two quarters and they were both like 10 minutes I think it was it was really like random and weird but um so we play Greenwood up there we had like three or four guys out that game but I ended up um having three sacks that game so I drilled that guy a couple of times I had a couple other hits on him too <laughs> but uh that wasn't actually my last college football game I played north south which I don't think that guy did so that's a little bit of a rest I guess back but um nah he did he he kind of ended my high school football career but it is what it is at this point I was playing by myself so can't really do much about it yeah, I mean, how, how do you – I don't understand how you, like, decide a season in a two-quarter game. Like, it just Yeah, I mean, it was kind of dumb. It was supposed to be a makeup for an entire game, and we wanted to play the entire game, and we probably would have won the game if we would have played the entire game because we were just one of those teams who needed four quarters to physically wear somebody out. But, I don't know, we just had a lot of kids that – I don't want I mean, we just had a lot of kids out and a lot of kids that really shouldn't have been playing. It was just hard that way for us, and – they were pretty healthy, and we weren't. And it was just that we – I don't know. We had a really physical game that Friday, too, against our rival. It was just not a great combination again for us. Like, we played the game on a Monday after playing a, another entire game after that Friday before. 
Right. We had to go to Greenwood, which for those of you who don't know, Lake City and Greenwood is like three and a half hours apart. So we had to make that trip <laughs> and then play the the two like eight minute quarters and then go home. Like we were done and it was still daylight outside, I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. Appreciate but appreciate the question, Will. Um yeah. anytime you want to talk smack to Tom, feel free to uh flood our inbox. We appreciate that. <laughs> um uh, last question, by the way, Z-Bird86. Will TJ Hopkins make it through a whole season? Um, I 110% think he will. I think, again, he's very aware of his body. He's taking more care of his body. I think, again, that's his number one priority where maybe in years past, you know, that's just something you sort of take for granted. Um, and I think the staff is also doing everything in their power to keep him healthy. So, yes, I think he will be healthy um, for the entire season. And with that, I mean, that's pretty much – that's going to wrap it up, Tom. I mean, that, you know – excited that you know i mean obviously something i've been looking forward to counting down opening days finally here and um next week we'll actually get to talk about some real baseball on the field so um good stuff very exciting stuff so be a fun time no no doubt so we've got some huge interviews like i said obviously former gamecocks right-handed pitcher Blake Cooper, um, you'll remember him. Pitched the Gamecocks from 2007 to 2010. Most notably, pitched in the College World Series in 2010, including game one against UCLA when the Gamecocks won 7-1. to one. I think Blake went eight-plus innings on in that one. Have a fantastic conversation with him coming up, talking about, obviously, his USC career, uh, the College World Series, a couple of relationships with his former teammates, Ray Tanner, playing pro ball. He's actually the pitching coach at the Citadel now. Um, so wishing him the best. And we had a great conversation about his coaching career as well. And then also our interview with head coach Mark Kingston, Gamecocks baseball coach. Huge, huge, huge interview for us. Huge get. Um, the first of its kind, our first current South Carolina Gamecocks head coach. Um, we're hoping it's going to open the doors to others, such as Frank Martin, Will Muschamp. You may have heard of him. Um, but, yeah, huge interviews to so stay tuned for that. Those interviews are brought to you by our friends over at my bookie. Tom. Just because football is over, it's funny. I was almost – I was very close to gambling on the AAF games. If you want to gamble on the AAF games, NHL, NBA, anything you can think of, maybe – hey, you can gamble on politics. You can gamble – you might be able to gamble on college baseball, and I just don't know about it. Be sure to go check out our friends over at MyBookie. That's MyBookie.ag. When you go there, use the promo code SPURSUP. They're going to give you a 50% deposit bonus. What that means is, let's say you got $500 to gamble with. You use that promo code SPURSUP. They're going to give you two fifty, just two hundred fifty free dollars. I don't even know how my bookie's still in business anymore when they're running promo codes like this. But use the promo code again: Spurs up, S P U R S U P. You all know how to spell it. You're going to get a fifty percent deposit bonus to gamble on whatever you want. Again, they're very responsive. They're the best online gambling site, in my opinion. If you have any questions, concerns, you want to know anything about them, um, you can actually hit up my bookie on social media. They respond to every single mention, every single DM. Um, and, I mean, they're just the best. So, best payouts. They're very easy to use, very quick to use. Um, there's none of those delayed payouts like you see a lot of these other gambling sites. My bookie is the place to be, the place to gamble, and the place to put your money and make sure you use the promo code SPURSUP. Get your 50% deposit bonus. And remember, with my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, enjoy our interviews with Blake Cooper and Mark Kingston. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2007 to 2010, was part of the Gamecocks 2010 National Championship team, uh, was named to the Collegiate Baseball third-team All-American squad in 2010, also garnered first-team All-SEC honors that year. 
I'm pleased to welcome to the show Blake Cooper. Blake, appreciate you taking the time, and again, it's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you on the show and look forward to talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I want to start from kind of the beginning. You played uh, at Edisto High School um, from that area. I just want to kind of ask you, what was the recruiting process like for you and what eventually led you to uh, become a Gamecock? Well, actually, I uh, like I said, I played at a small 2A high school in uh, Cordova, which is near Orangeburg, South Carolina. I uh, <clears throat> I was on varsity my my eighth grade year, and then you know my my I got a little bit of time as an eighth grader. Played mostly JV, and then got called up there to playoff times, and uh, got to play some shortstop, and got to pitch actually against Batesburg Leesville in a playoff game in my eighth grade year. But then from there on out, I was on the varsity team and really uh, made my way as a starting pitcher. I actually threw a no-hitter my freshman year um, against Wagner Sally at a, like a pre preseason invitational tournament. So, um, so as far as recruiting goes, I, you know, I, for me, coming from a small town, I, re- I really had no intentions of, of playing, you know, big-time college baseball. Um, cause I really didn't know anybody that did. And, you know, for me, it, that really didn't grow until I came around my junior summer where I got an opportunity to play a guy by the name of Roger Wilkinson, who ran a travel ball organization out of Georgia, um, which is actually Scouts USA now. But, um, I played with him and, you know, my head coach was actually Tommy Dunbar, who, uh, recently passed away back in 2000. 12 or 13, which is really one of my big mentors. And, um, yeah, it was an awesome experience for me because it was really the first time where I got to play against guys who were super talented and I got to learn a lot. So, um, my recruiting process really didn't start until that summer. I actually got recruited by those guys. Um, we were playing actually at Silver Bluff High School and they were there to watch a kid by the name of Demetrius Washington, who actually got drafted out of high school. Ended up going to play at uh, Middle Georgia for a couple of years, but he, he was a extremely talented outfielder, like a four-two down the line, you know, right-handed hitter, and also threw eighty-eight, ninety on the mound. So I kind of just just shined that night and got the opportunity to play uh, summer ball with Coach Wilson and Coach Dunbar. Awesome, absolutely. So moving into two thousand seven, your freshman year, you were someone that I would say adjusted very quickly and very well to the college game, especially pitching at the SEC level. You went 7-2 and two overall, 4-4-8 ERA, um, got a ton of work. I mean, over 60 innings pitched, named a collegiate baseball's freshman All-American team. Um, talk about just what made the transition, you know, smooth for you, because obviously it always is a transition when you go from high school ball to collegiate ball, especially when you're talking the SEC level. Um, what do you think gave you the ability to have so much success early on in your career? Yeah, you know – for me, I was always a guy who, who threw a lot of strikes. He could throw three pitches for strikes. Um, and then later on in my career, my, my junior and senior year in high school, some velocity came around. So early on in my career, I was a guy who learned how to pitch. And then, you know, really as my career developed, I, you know, I jumped six to seven miles an hour within that year and I was able to use it. But, um, so as far as for me transferring into, into college baseball, especially at the SEC level. My freshman fall did not go, um, you know, as planned. I believe I had around a 19 ERA um, going into the spring, and I can remember I had a meeting with Coach Tanner and 
Yeah, I was starting to wonder whether, you know, I was good enough to be at that level. Um, I felt like every time out I was, you know, I was giving up three and four runs and walking guys. And it was just something that, you know, I didn't really do coming out of high school. I was trying to be somebody else. And, you know, we all know as an athlete, we, we, we start doing things that we're not capable of doing. We try, start trying to be somebody else. And, you know, oftentimes it, it puts yourself in a bad position for you to be successful. So, you know, I, I sit down with Coach Tanner and he starts talking about, you know, may, maybe it's an option to transfer. You know, you come out in the spring and we'll see how it works out. If you pitch well out of the pen first in those spring inter-squads, and we'll see how it works going into the season. So, and he brought up a story about a guy by the name of Kip Fultonite, who, you know, obviously he, he became a Gamecock legend. So, mm-hmm. he, uh, he, he was a guy who, who had kind of the same result as a freshman um, in, his, in his first year in South Carolina. So, he brought up the motivation from Kip Fultonite to me that, you know, he, Coach Tanner really believed in me, and he thought it could be done, but there were some things I need to change. So, it's one thing facing, you know, two A high school hitters to to going in and facing Reese Havens, James Darnell, Justin Smoke, all those guys, Travis Jones as a freshman, you know, at Sword Price. So um, it, it it was a very tough transition for me, especially early in my career. Um, but I also had coaches like Coach Tanner and Mark Calvin who pushed me every day to to try to get better perfecting my craft so from there on out I was able to make some adjustments and go into that freshman year um, I believe I threw eight innings out of the bullpen um, we got my first start on Friday night I believe it was against Brown University our Friday guy Harris Honeycutt went went down with um, he had a shoulder shoulder tightness so I got an opportunity to play and um, I went out and made the start got, got my first career win against Brown so Right, no doubt. So you talked about some of your uh, your former teammates, Justin Smoke, Reese Haven, James Darnell. I got to ask, what was it like facing those guys every single day? Because I, and we all know, you know, we all know what guys like Justin Smoke did and have done and are doing at the professional level. We all know what Reese Havens did, James Darnell. I mean, these are these are first couple of round draft picks. Talk about what it was like facing those guys, because I know that had to be murderer's row for uh, the pitching staff at South Carolina. Well, it was, and, you know, as far as you know, when you're a pitcher and you're a young guy, you know, you get, you get put on a certain side of the spectrum to where, you know, they want you to face the better hitter, so they want you to get better. So every day, every time out, I'm facing those guys, and, you know, obviously, like you said, they're first-rounders, and, you know, honestly, I'm glad they were there because it made me better. Because um, a lot of times, you know, as humans, we're stubborn to – to change until we're defeated and then, and then all of a sudden we've got to make a change because we're forced to do it. But I really feel like those guys really broke me into that because I was a guy who kind of cruised through high school, had a really good arm, had a good breaking ball um, that was able to, you know, just, just kind of cruise through high school because in high school you, you kind of got one or two good hitters. But when I, once I got to South Carolina, I was facing nine guys who could really hurt you. So, they really forced me to make adjustments and be able to turn into the pitcher. 
Right. So you talked a little bit earlier about Ray Tanner and your conversations with him. Just talk about sort of your relationship, because we all know he's a Hall of Fame coach, what he did at South Carolina. Uh, talk about specifically your relationship with, uh, with Ray Tanner then and now. Well, Coach Tanner was – he was really hard on me from day one. Um, and I, I think Coach Tanner did a really good job of that. He, he really knew the guys that he could get on, and he knew the guys that he kind of had to pat on the butt and say good job. So – and I feel like I was one of those guys that, that could handle it. And I think it, it's just kind of based off where I come from and the work ethic I had. Um, but I, looking back then, I kind of thought, you know, every day, like, why is, you know, why is Coach Tanner on me? And, you know, he, I think that's, that's one of those things where if a guy's on you all the time, that means he really cares. So, um, but yeah, he, he's definitely been a mentor for me, especially off the field. Um, He's definitely led me in some right directions to actually get the job I've got now. So um, I really appreciate everything he's done for me so far. For sure, no doubt. So uh, you're someone that pitched against Clemson many different times across your career. We know the South Carolina-Clemson baseball rivalry is, I would say, is the best in the country. Talk about your experience overall, uh, your memories from the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry. Yeah, I mean, it – it, it's second to none, I think. You know, I've I played baseball around the country. And, you know, for some reason, the state of South Carolina has a tremendous amount of respect for college baseball and college athletes just because there's, there's not really a professional team here. So, um, it, it's really it's really a special deal. Um, I can remember my freshman year getting off the bus for going to Clemson. Um, we're number one in the country. They're number two in the country. And – you know, at the moment you get off the bus and it's like, man, you know, I'm here. This is this is what it's all about. We get off that bus and you know, there's fans lined up in in left field and we're walking pretty much through a tunnel of fans, probably a hundred yards long. And uh, you start understanding what that rivalry is about really quick if you're not familiar with it. Um, but it, it's definitely a special special rivalry. Um, and for me, that's, that's really what I miss the most about it, the rivalry, you know, the, the, the pressure that was put on it, um, and, and just the goosebumps you get out of it. No doubt. Is there any specific game or series with them that you remember? Because I know during the time that you played, obviously we're going to get to 2010 and what you guys did in Omaha, but I remember specifically the uh, – the Harley Lale clip throwing up the four to the outfield. I remember specifically the yeah. the Justin Smoke clip where he gets thrown at a little close inside and then hits a, a ball that I think probably still hasn't landed yeah. yet over the right field fence. I mean, th those yeah, things are pretty uh, easy with you guys. That's actually uh, – that guy's name was Vaughn. Um, he, he wore number 22, I believe. I can't remember his first name, but I know him and Smokey were like best friends. Hmm. So, if you, did, if you didn't know that, and you watch that clip, you think they hated each other, but they were like best friends. And I can remember that guy. He, he came in on Smokey and almost hit him, and then uh, obviously we know what the rest is history. So, but yeah, I, I can remember a start I made there. Um, I can remember Chris Epps led off the game. I went first pitch fastball away, hits it in the stand for a home run, and then obviously you hear the Clemson Tiger chant, um, which is the most obnoxious thing in the world, by the way. Um, no doubt. And then Nick Schaus, Nick Schaus comes up, and I throw a first pitch change up. And I can remember like it was yesterday, he hits it 
pretty much on that, you know, in right field where they've got all the grills and everything right there in right. He hits it over to Fent for another home run. So right there, I've thrown two pitches, and it's two to nothing, Clemson. And that is the loudest I've heard as a pitcher. Um, but right then and there, it was a situation where, you know, for me, and I think Coach Calvi and, you know, Coach Tanner did a really good job of getting us to be able to live in the present moment. And that was a situation. That was either my freshman or sophomore year to where, you know, all fall and spring, that's all they talked about was being in the present moment, being in the present moment. So what, next pitch, all those things. And right there in that moment, I can remember telling myself, next pitch, next pitch. And all of a sudden, I look up, you know, we're in the sixth inning, and we're up by one. So they leave that game off, home run, home run. I cruise through five or six, and then I win that game. So, um, you know, I, it's one of those things now as a coach that I talk about all the time, being in the present moment, understanding the situation and moving on. Because if you, if you look back at what happened, you're never going to see the future. So it, it's one of those things that, you know, I really didn't understand how Coach Tanner did what he did, but he was amazing at it. No doubt. So I, I want to talk about you're one of the few guys that can say they were on the team that – <clears throat> excuse me, that closed out Sarge Fry Field and opened up Founders Park. Um, just talk about kind of how cool that was, because I remember specifically when they were talking about building a new ballpark. Uh, me, personally, I was thinking, yeah. Sarge Fry is great. I love Sarge. You know, I know all the South Carolina fans love Sarge Fry Field. And then you actually see Founders Park and what it is, and it's immaculate facility. Uh, just talk about what that was like as a player to go from Sarge Fry Field to uh, breaking in Founders Park. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I really liked Sarge Fry Field. You know, I thought that, that, that the, obviously it was it was an older stadium and it, there was a new one needed to be built, but there was always a ton of fans there, and it just felt like there was always more fans than what was actually there. Um, but it was a really unique situation to where it was a really, it was a college atmosphere. You had tailgating, you know, on the right, on first base side, on top in the parking lot. It, it was just a really good experience for fans and, you know, the players. And, you know, I I actually started the last game there. Um, so it, it was against University of Tennessee. And, you know, I, that was a game that Reese Havens actually walked off. So um, that was really an unbelievable year, honestly, for, for me and – now, I really enjoyed the two years that I got to play there because I got to play there at the Sark Pride, which, you know, had a tremendous amount of tradition. And also got to play with some guys who played in the big league, with Justin Smoke and, you know, obviously Darnell and some guys like like the names of uh, Disher and, and Havens and those guys. So um, it, it was a really special place for me. No doubt. So, 2009, you were named the NCAA Regional All-Tournament team. Uh, we talked to your buddy Scott Wingo a couple weeks ago about this, but you guys go to East Carolina and suffer what I would categorize as a brutal – just a brutal loss in the regional series. A couple of really close games, you know, a couple of games lost on the last at bat. Um, we all know what happened in 2010, but for the team and for you specifically – what do you think changed from 2009 to 2010? Because during your career, I mean, you were always solid. I mean, you know, your overall record, seven and two, five and six, nine and four, ERA hovering, you know, somewhere around four. But we, your senior year, 2010, you go 13 and two with a 276 ERA. Going into 2010 from a team perspective, 
Was the national championship something on you guys' mind? Was that the goal to get to Omaha and win it all? And then for you specifically, I mean, what changed overall for your game to have the type of senior season you had? Well, you know, I think you go to South Carolina to win a national championship. I think that's the, that's the standard that the players set before. Um, that's the tradition of University of South Carolina. I think that, you know, that's something we always thought about. But, you know, that East Carolina region, that's something that, that really stung. I think I started a game and I went, you know, eight innings or so and gave up 14 hits, which is rare. I don't understand how I ever did that. But I can promise you that Wingo probably had a, had a say in some of those double play balls I, that, uh, that were induced because I'm sure it was bases loaded almost every inning in that game. But anyway, he, you know, it, that, that game really left a dagger because we knew we were a talented team. Um, we just weren't able to make a pitch or get a hit when we needed it. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing for that next year, moving in, moving forward, from the end of that season going from that, that season to that summer to that next year was, you know, we we were challenged. We were challenged by our coaches. We were challenged by Coach Tanner. Wingo was challenged by Tanner. I, I, I'm sure he talked about it. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, we're going to bring in another guy if you can't get it done. So, mm. and the same thing was to be said for me. I, you know, I was a guy that kind of just was just average for, you know, three years. I had a really good start as a freshman, and, you know, I'm the Sunday guy for three years. But, you know, for Coach Calvary, he was, you know, he was constantly on me about, man, we need, we need you to be more. We need, we need to do some things that's going to make you a, a better pitcher. We need you to win 10 games or more. We need you to be a leader next year. So, Coach Calvary, you know, I really take – I give credit to, to Coach Calvary for really getting me <laughs> to where I was that senior year because – you know, I can remember walking off the field um, that last time, and you know we we're walking up to the locker room, and Coach Calvi stops me and he says, "Hey, Coop, you know you've had a good three years, but there's something that's got to change, or something missing." Um, and for me, I was a little bit overweight. Um, I felt like you know once I got to the fourth and fifth inning, I you know, I would get tired, and you know I'd really lose my sharpness on every pitch, I'd fall behind guys and really lose the velo. So, you know, he came to me and said, hey, you know, we need to change your body. We need to do some things to, to make some adjustments. And, you know, that summer I put a, I, I was on a mission. And, you know, he came to me and said, hey, I'll be here every day if you need me. He said, but well, we got to get you better. So really made a commitment to, to baseball off the field, made a commitment to my body, made a commitment to my team. Um, and I went out and, you know, I could, I can remember myself running stadiums every day. I'm in the weight room two hours a day. I lost 30 pounds. Um, you know, I'm at, I was sitting at 215 and all of a sudden I'm down to 185, 188. And I feel like a new guy getting into that, that fall that next year. And guys are looking at me like, who's the new guy in the room? So <laughs> it, it was, it was just a different mindset. And as an athlete, I think that, you know, the mind really enables the body to do things. So for me, it was, I put my mind to it. I changed my lifestyle. I changed my body. I changed my mentality. I changed my focus. And all of a sudden, it puts you in a position to be successful. So pretty much, I just, you know, I changed that process of the way I went about things. And when you do that, all of a sudden, 
the results and success changes. So that's one of the things I think that it really helped me push forward. Um, and there, there wasn't one time where I went out and pitched and didn't think that I was going to beat that other guy. So <laughs> if you can look back and you can see the guys that were on, you know, that Friday night, you, you're talking about Drew Smiley, you're talking about Sonny Gray, you're talking about Drew Pomerantz, you're talking about, I mean, just a ton of guys that, you know, for me, and, and one thing Coach Calvi always drilled in me, you're not pitching against that other pitcher, you're pitching against yourself. So I started believing that, and I started controlling the things I could control, and all of a sudden things started taking care of themselves. For sure. And Blake, you kind of led me to my next question because I want to talk about 2010. Again, you earned first team All-FCC honors, uh, third team collegiate baseball American squad. And again, we all know you guys won the national championship, but I talked about your stats, the 13 and two, 2.76 ERA. But like you mentioned, uh, you were pitching on Friday night and Friday night in the SEC is obviously when the big dogs come out. It's when the scouts all come out. The, the best arms are throwing on Friday night. I remember specifically, actually, I was at the 2010 Ole Miss game when you pitched against Drew Pomerantz, I remember specifically. Um, and like you're saying, you faced the best of the best, the best arms, um, and beat those guys. It, talk about just, was there, I, I, you know, you already kind of explained it, but what was that like kind of going, you, you know, you talked about you're facing yourself, but you're facing these aces for every single team and you're beating them week after week after week. Just talk about what that experience was like and, um, you know, did you carry just sort of a chip on your shoulder? I mean, what was that experience like for you? Because, again, like you said, you went from your first three years being a middle-of-the-road average Sunday guy to a front-line Friday night SEC guy. Just talk about what that was like, just beating those guys up week after week. Yeah, I think, you know, I think I had definitely a chip on my shoulder. I was always a smaller guy in the room um, that didn't throw as hard as everybody else. And, you know, even though I was – you know, I usually sit 88 and 90, and, you know, I could throw three or four pitches for strikes. But, you know, I wasn't the prototypical professional guy. Um, but I took pride in, in my craft and the things I can control. Um, and I think that, you know, for me it was a situation where I just I, – I trusted my process of events that was going to lead me to success, and that's what I kept going out and doing. And, and I think when you're so – encapsulated in the things you can control and the things that you do on that mound or with you and that catcher, it's never any pressure. And that's something that, you know, I kind of try to relate to our pitchers, you know, on our pitching staff is, you know, when you can start thinking about that one pitch routine, you can start thinking about the things you can control. You start thinking about your tempo, your delivery, you know, all those things. There's no, there's no time in there to think about pressure and who's in the box, who's on the base path, who's in the other dugout, what coach you're playing against. All those things are irrelevant whenever you're focused on, you know, the, the things you control. So I definitely had a, had a um, chip on my shoulder mindset. For me, it, it was something that I wanted to prove to everybody, especially, you know, where I came from and some of the, you know, obviously you're going to have people that say you're not going to do it, you're not going to be good enough. But for me, I took pride in to, to proving others wrong. And, you know, I went out and did it for me. So it was um, – and, and not to mention the guys that we had behind us. It's unbelievable. I mean, you had Bobby Haney who, 
who made six errors the entire year, and I think five of them were throwing errors. So if the ball's hit those guys, they're going to catch them. And that's something that, that I had trust in. I had faith. I mean, Scott Wingo was the best defender in college baseball his entire career at South Carolina. So it's unbelievable the amount of talent that was in that field as far as defensively. There was never a thought in my mind that I had to strike a guy out. For me, it was all about, you know, going out, putting the ball in play, letting those guys play. And I believed in that process. And, you know, when you believe in something, it's going to work. If there's any indecisiveness in your thought process, then you're going to run into some issues. So, you know, we, we definitely had a group of guys that were talented, but they also were guys who really cared about the game. They really cared about the university. They had a passion about what they did. And, you know, obviously it, it showed in the play. No doubt. And you talk about your process, and I feel like that really all came to a head. You were you were impressive in the postseason, but that that really all came to a head. Game one against UCLA in the College World Series, um, you spent an absolute gem. Through eight-plus innings, allowed just one run, three hits, ten strikeouts. And, oh, by the way, on the other side, UCLA is throwing Garrett Cole who, if anyone you're listening, you know baseball, you know what Garrett Cole is doing right now, a man in the MLB that's making a ton of money spending the baseball. Um, I mean, just talk about for you, again, you talked about all year you're beating these top-notch guys, you know, week after week after week, but you go up again against UCLA with two top-notch arms in Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, and again, you spin an absolute gem. Just talk about what that was like getting the win, um, or I guess first pitching in the College World Series, but secondly, getting the win over UCLA and setting you guys up to uh, eventually win the national championship. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I take it back to the to the Coastal Super Regional. Um, I think that, you know, Coastal that year was probably the best offense we faced all year. Um, and I can remember going over to scouting report, and I remember Coach Calvi talking about, you know, they were 27-0 and or whatever it was in conference, but they played in the Big South and they weren't that good. And, you know, obviously he's trying to make me feel good about it. But um, you, you had guys like Tommy Lestella. You had Taylor Motter, who's in the big leagues. You had Rico Noel, who's been in the big leagues. You, you got two or three pitchers that's been in the big leagues that I played with actually in Arizona. So they had a lineup that can really do some damage. Um, they had two guys who had over 60 total stolen bags. Um, so there were definitely a lineup that that really could hurt you if you let them. So <laughs> I can go. I can remember going back to that game, and you know we get in a situation where it's I think his base is loaded. There's a ball hit up the middle. You got Scott Wingo again. It hits off my glove. It goes right over the bag. Scott lays out backhand. He's laying on the ground. Throws the ball to first for a double play. So. That was another situation where Wingo just came through. And, like I said, he, he's the best defender I've played with in college and through pro ball. And, you know, obviously I've played in the AAA level, so he's one of the best. Um, but, yeah, it, it was definitely, you know, once Walker hit that walk-off home run, it was like, you know, we got Matt Price coming in, the game's over. So, just all the pieces we had. We had two guys with over ten wins. We had – a submarine guy who's a parents leader in history. We had a closer on the mound who threw 96. We had guys in the field who can defend. We had some guys who can hit the ball out of the park. So we had all the, the entire recipe to be successful. Um, but, yeah, as soon as Walker hit that home run, we knew it. 
Um, and it, it's an unbelievable feeling getting on that bus knowing you're going to Omaha. Quick question. Do you think that ball has landed yet that Walker hit? Because I know that was a mean shot. Well, I actually played with that guy, too. His name was Austin Fleet. Um, he, uh, he actually – actually, I didn't play. I played against him. He was with San Francisco. But he, I remember he threw a – it was a slider. He hung, and Walker hit it out. But, <laughs> once again, I was in another situation where Coach Tanner was unbelievably – he told Morales he gets on. This guy gets on. Walker's going to hit a blast. And it's unbelievable just the things that he would say that would happen. And it, it happened. And we get, we get on the bus. We're going to Omaha. And I can remember before that series, we, we had a meeting out in center field, and Coach Tanner said, why not us? You know, why not us? And obviously, we win two games, we go to Omaha. But back to your, you know, your question about, you know, UCLA and Garrett Cole, honestly, I had no idea who Garrett Cole was. That was, that's another situation where, you know, you're so focused and locked in on the things that you do and that you can control that, you, that you're not worried about the opponent. You're worried about the things you do best and the moments you're trying to stay in. So, and not only that is, you know, for our offense, it was about we we faced guys like that all year. So it wasn't, you know, we'd face Sonny Gray, we'd face Paul Rance, we'd face those guys. So it it was just like another Friday night in the SEC. No doubt. So I want to get your opinion really quickly because 2010 was the same year that uh, one of the members of the pitching staff you were on, Michael Roth, gets his first career start and. We all know what he did against Clemson. Spins an absolute gem when most were expecting him to go maybe two, three innings. He throws a complete game. Um, I mean, how cool was that? Because I know as a pitching staff, you guys, you sort of all own each other's success and you compete against each other. But from your perspective, I mean, did you ever expect that in your life for Michael Roth to go out there and throw a complete game? I mean, what was that like just watching from the dugout? Well, I can remember, you know, we're talking about Roth starting because what happened, we lost that first game. And then, you know, obviously we had to play Arizona State. Dyson pitched that game. And then I had to come around and pitch against Oklahoma again. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're sitting there against Clemson. And, you know, I can remember Coach Tanner just saying, hey, just give us two and we'll move on. Just give us two and we'll move on. He goes out there and he carves. And, you know, everybody's looking around like, I ain't saying anything to him. I'm not saying anything to him. And it's all of a sudden it's the sixth and he's still dealing. And you know, I see Coach Tanner and Coach Calvi talking about it. And Coach Calvi's like, leave him alone. So, you know, we're, I can see them. They're, they're walking in ways to avoid Michael on <laughs> the bench. And, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, come on. Just hold on. Just hold on for a couple more. Just hold on. for. And he throws a complete game. And, you know, that was one thing about that team was, when a guy went down, another guy stepped up, and they were ready to go. It was unbelievable how things happened. And the camaraderie between the guys and just the way that, you know, everybody worked together and everybody cheered for each other. It was it was really a special team. No doubt. So we talked a little bit about the Carolina-Clemson rivalry already, but how awesome was it to beat Clemson twice in Omaha? Because we all know the history of what happened in 2002. Literally the exact same thing happened, and you guys do it again. I'm sure you heard a lot. We talked a little bit again to Scott Wingo about this, but I'm sure you guys sort of heard the whispers of history repeating itself, you guys beating them twice in Omaha. But, I mean, how cool was that and satisfying was that to do it again? Yeah, it's definitely special. Um, earlier in that year, I mean, they really – they gave us a butt whooping early in the year. Um, I think they beat us by 18 runs or so <laughs> during that year and took two out of three from us. So it was definitely – a that was the team we wanted to play. 
Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of things on the line, and I thought we played better whenever we had our backs against the wall. Um, it was a situation where our guys always rose. You know, and, and before that game, you know, Clemson was always a team that played with a lot of energy. Um, there was a lot of excitement around their program. But for some reason, during those two games, there was something different about them. And I think that the fact that they were playing South Carolina kind of took out some of their balloon, some of their air from their balloon in that aspect. And I think that's really what propelled us past Clemson. No doubt. So, you know, we already talked about you get the game one win over UCLA. Uh, we all know what happens game two with Merrifield, the walk-off hit. You guys win the national championship. The first ever baseball, collegiate baseball national championship in the history of South Carolina. Um, and you go out on top as a senior. That was your final collegiate game. Explain to us just how cool of a feeling that was and just what that moment was like as soon as that ball's hitting the right field and you guys are the national champions. Well, it's the best of both worlds because what happens is earlier in that series, uh, or actually, you know, obviously against Oklahoma where we're down to one strike, you know, your mind is thinking, you know what, boys, it's been a great ride. Um, <laughs> and it's amazing what the game of baseball does because you're sitting there and I can remember saying, hey, guys, let's pull our pants up. Let's create a rally here. And all of a sudden we're back in it and we win the game. And then you get to – the UCLA series and win the first game. Um, and then you move on to that second game and you're one swing away. We got a guy on second base. Wick comes up. He gets that hit. And it it's like you're running out and it's really loud, but you don't hear anything because you're so, you're so excited and you're in that moment that it's really a undescribable moment. Um, it, it, it sounds like just a bunch of bees in your ears is what it sounds like. But you're so excited for the guys on the field and the guys in that dugout and all the hard work you've put in. You know, for some guys, four years, and for some guys that are, you know, new to that team and moving forward all the way through the spring. So it's really something that, you know, I'm proud about moving forward with, you know, all the new guys that are coming in now. So it's um, it was really special to be able to, to create that tradition there. No doubt, absolutely. Uh, so the 2010 MLB draft, you're taking in the 12th round by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Your your career, uh, you played from 2010 to 2015, like you mentioned, all the way from the rookie ball level up to AAA. I mean, you've been all over the place, went 23 and 20 overall in your minor league career. When you work back, over 315 innings pitched, by the way. So a ton, a ton of innings, a ton of experience at that level. But when you look back on your your professional career, uh, what are the biggest things you take away from it? You know, I think, obviously, I had, I had a tremendous career. Um, I got to meet a ton of people. And, you know, I got to go a lot of places. So, and at the end of the day, you know, I went out of college on top. I got to win a national championship. I got to play at my dream school. I got to make lifetime buddies um, at the university. I got my degree from there in 2016. So, you know, I – owe everything to the University of South Carolina to, to where I'm at today. But going back to pro ball, I, you know, for me it was, you know, I always said I'll play until, you know, the opposing bats tell me I'm not good enough. Um, but for me, I, I never really got to that point. Honestly, I just got to the point to where 
I felt like it was time, and I felt like for me it was I got more excitement about instilling knowledge and and seeing other guys do well in in the game that I love as a kid. So I knew it was time for me. I was ready to start a family. I was ready to to move somewhere and settle down. So you know, for me, I'm extremely happy that I that I did what I did. I got to play professional baseball because it was a childhood dream of mine. Um, and, and I got to see the world. So that's the biggest thing that, that professional sports or any athletic um, team will do for you. You get to see things, you get to do things, you get to meet people that, that you might not otherwise. Yeah, I want to ask, Blake, how, how close were you, would you say, in your opinion, to pitching at the MLB level? Because, I mean, you jumped around from double-A, triple-A, double-A, triple-A, back and forth. I mean, was there ever a time where you were thinking, you know, I'm about to get the call to the – MLB club? I mean, how close was that realistically for you? Well, I mean, in 2014, I was, you know, first called up to AAA and, you know, going back to you know, some of the things I was talking about earlier, I tried to do things that were out of my control and things that, you know, I wasn't very good at doing. And, you know, I struggled a little bit. Um, started walking some guys and then finally I got sat down with Mike Bell, who was the minor league coordinator said hey man you got to get back to doing what you do best and you know I started doing those things I started pitching well and got traded over to the Cubs um got sent down to double a finished there as their closer for about three weeks and then next year I went in the spring training with the Cubs and got you know sent up to triple a and probably had the best year of my career there Um, I was either setting up or closing every game you know, I get to the end of the season, and, you know, unfortunately it just it just didn't work out. But, you know, I would say that, um, you know, for me it was – I was extremely close. You know, I thought that, you know, my stuff played. Um, it was just a decision for me that, you know, I was a guy that was going to probably be up and down. Um, I didn't know if I'd stick or not. And I didn't, I didn't really think that lifestyle was for me. I was ready to get into coaching. I was ready to have a family. So that was the decision I had to make. And for me, fortunately enough, you know, as an athlete, it, it's one of those things where you get the best of both worlds. You go out on top of the national champion, and then you get to choose when you retire from baseball. So um, not a lot of guys get to have that option. No doubt. So like you said, you're in the coaching ranks now. Um, you leave minor league baseball in 2015, get your degree from the University of South Carolina, kind of bounce around from being a GA at South Carolina to now you are the pitching coach at the Citadel. You talked about a little bit earlier. Um, just talk about what the transition's been like from playing on the field to being a pitching coach and, uh, you know, what it's been overall being a coach. No, it's been awesome. It's been everything I've, you know, I've wanted. Um, like I said, I, I get excitement out of seeing guys do well <clears throat> and seeing guys, you know, really buy into what you're talking about and what you're coaching and, you know, some of the experiences I've seen and, and had as a player. So, you know, it, some things you take for granted, um, being at the level I was at, I think that's one thing I learned last year as my first year coaching was the things that I took for granted, the, the, the way guys prepare, the way guys, they, they take a professional approach in throwing, the way they, they they control their bullpens, the way they, you know, control the game within the game, their emotions, their one-pitch routines, all those things that I took for granted um, that I did as a player that I had to learn, I kind of took for granted that these guys would do that as well. 
Um, so that was one thing for me my first year I really had to learn and adapt to and start getting these guys to really understand what it takes to be successful and focus on that process instead. Um, but for me, it's it's all about the relationships. And, you know, it's awesome. You know, I, I only got to coach some of those seniors one year last year, but, you know, I still have some relationships with them. And it, it's, you know, for me, the relationships are the best thing in the world about coaching. Is your goal to be a uh, collegiate head baseball coach one day? Is that kind of the end game for you or just kind of the goal for you? Or what's uh, what's the goal for, for Blake Cooper coaching-wise? Well, I think right now, obviously, it's, you know, it, it's to have a pitching staff that's really competitive and win games at the Citadel. So, um, you know, obviously every every assistant coach wants to be a head coach. But right now, like I've been talking about, is that is that it's that process and being where your feet are. So right now my my main focus is to get these guys better where we're at. Absolutely. So, Blake, appreciate you giving us the time. Before I let you go, I have one last question. Um, obviously, you played with a ton of a ton of great dudes at South Carolina. I know the 2010 team, you guys had a – had a, you were very businesslike on the field, but you guys were, let's just be honest, a bunch of goofballs. Could be a bunch of goofballs all together. What's your best story that you can tell in the airwaves uh, that you remember from South Carolina, maybe your favorite story – uh, whether it be on or off the field at South Carolina? Um, I, I, w- I would have to say I'll, – I'll give you a baseball story. We, we're in the national championship, and I like to pick on Scott Wingo because he's always a guy when, you know, Coach Tanner, you know, he, he, gave, he gave Wingo a hard time too. But, you know, I think that's that's one of those things, like I said earlier, where – you know, if he's picking on you, that means he really likes you and thinks you can do well and be successful. So we get out there and, you know, Coach Calvin comes out. Wingo makes two errors in a row right there in the inning. And he comes out and, you know, when he's like – and Coach Calvin's like, come on, Wingo, what you doing? And, and Wingo's like, yeah, yeah, I got, I got it, I got it, I got it. He, he always did that. It didn't matter what – what you what he did or what anybody said, he was always quick to say, Yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. And I think sometimes that made them mad. But he uh Wingo was man, he was super confident in what he was doing. So he 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 definitely was a special player. No doubt. Well, Blake, again, appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We obviously wish you the best at uh the Citadel and we'll definitely be tuned in, keeping an eye on the pitching staff you guys put together this year. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So for Blake Cooper and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. All right. Joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is the head coach of Gamecocks Baseball, Mark Kingston. Coach, again, appreciate you taking the time. It's a pleasure to have you on. No, I appreciate you having me on. It's always good to spread the word of Gamecock Baseball. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it. Obviously, your first season, 2018, you guys had a pretty successful year. Uh, make it all the way to the Super Regionals, a game away from Omaha. Let me ask you, Coach, what did you learn most in that first season at South Carolina that you're carrying into 2019? You know, that's a good question. I would say the biggest lesson you learn going through the SEC is that you have to you have to remain stable in your leadership of your team. There's going to be some down moments. There's going to be some great moments. You just it's an old cliche, but you can't get too high or too low. Uh, you know, we started the year in the league, one in five, playing Georgia in Florida. And we were really banged up when we played Georgia and, and got swept there on the road. 
And, you know, that's, that's one of those moments where if you don't handle things properly, I think, you know, both the players and the coaches can start to go sideways. So you know, the biggest thing is you have to try to have a steady hand. Obviously you, you maintain the intensity and, and the work ethic, but you need to understand in this league, you're not going undefeated. You have to be able to deal with the highs and the lows. And if you do that well, then you give your best, your best chance for long-term success. No doubt. So we're obviously just two days away from opening day. Uh, I'll ask you, have you made any decisions on your starting rotation on your pitching staff that you can share with us? We have. We, it's, uh, I think stuff has started to leak out, and I won't, I won't say that it's accurate or, or inaccurate. <laughs> I think we'll officially let that stuff out uh, later today. Uh, at the latest, we'll do it tomorrow at the press conference. But, um, again, I won't confirm what the leaks have been, but uh, generally those leaks – seem to be more accurate than you might want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Uh, I'll ask you about the pitching staff, though. Dylan Harley is a kid we've heard a lot about in the fall and the spring, a guy that I've heard is low to mid-90s from the left side. Just talk about what Dylan Harley provides you as someone that I know you talked about as sort of uh, a surprise from the uh, the recruiting class that you guys have. Yeah, no question. He's a kid that we signed late in the process. He was a spring signee. Um, you know, just a, a very talented kid, a very mature kid. And I don't want to put too much pressure on him, you know, because he's still a freshman. He's still playing at this level for the first time. Um, but he's so far, everything we've seen, he's, he's mature beyond his years, both in how he pitches, um, how he handles himself on the mound, how he handles the ups and downs within an inning. He's just a very talented kid. And, and again, don't want to put too much pressure on his shoulders because he just needs to go out there and, and focus on pitching. But he's, he's a guy that I think has a chance to be one of the better ones that have come through here. No doubt. So another place you've got a lot of new faces, obviously, is in your lineup. I think of Seitler, Berryhill, Eister, Allen are a couple of names we've heard a lot in the spring. Um, and the biggest theme I'm hearing, Coach, is power when you talk about these new guys. Just talk about the new guys all throughout your lineup and how you feel about those guys coming into opening day. Yeah, you know, I think South Carolina is a program. When I Before I ever got here, I always thought about South Carolina as just a team that could really bash you. And, and you, you think of the Justin Smokes and the Steve Pierces and the Landon Powells of the world, just guys that, you know, kind of helped to build this program into what it is, just big-time power. And that's something I believe in as well. And, and I want us to be that kind of team. I want teams to be intimidated by us when, when they watch us take BP. So, you know, I think we have a lot of raw power right now, probably just as much as we had last year where we were one of the top teams in the SEC and in the country and, and hitting home runs. Um, how quickly that shows up in the game is still, you know, we still have to play the games to find that out. Um, from a raw power standpoint, it's there. But last year, more veteran team where guys kind of knew when to pick their counts and when to take their full swings and all that stuff. So we'll see if the Seitlers and the Brady Allens and the Eisters and the Berry Hills, who have as much raw power, we'll see if they can get as much production in games. Obviously, we all hope that they can. For sure. Two guys I think that you would probably agree are going to be vital to your team's success this year uh, are T.J. Hopkins and Noah Campbell, two guys that I would expect to be somewhere near the top of the lineup. T.J. Hopkins finally back from injury. Noah Campbell obviously tore up the Cape Cod League this past summer. Talk about what those two guys mean to your team on and off the field. Yeah, they're two, two of our best. You, you nailed it. Um, and Noah will hit leadoff for us. T.J. Will, will open the season in the three-hole, and those guys are – very, very important in terms of driving our offense. I think Noah is one of the best table setters in the country. As you mentioned, he tore up the Cape Cod League last summer. And guys, generally, once they do that, they really play with a new air of confidence. 
and confidence is huge. You know, you've got to have confidence to be good at this game. And so I think that will really carry over for him. And just watching him play the game now, he's, he's a different cat than he was last year. And TJ, for my money, if TJ stays healthy, he's the best center fielder in the country. So wouldn't trade him for anybody in terms of speed, power, defense. Um, those guys are good leaders on our team. Just so Both those guys are everything you look for now. It's just a matter of hoping fate smiles on us and keeps them healthy. No doubt. So like I talked about, you know, there's pitching, hitting, there's, there are some unknowns on your team. What in your opinion is the biggest unknown that you're excited to see answered this spring that you have the most uh, optimism about? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole team is unknown truthfully. I mean, you look at our pitching staff and we lost Hill and Morris and, and Logan Chapman to injury. You lost Eddie Demirius who was closing games at the back. Um, So you lost a lot of, a lot of key innings there. So I'm anxious to see what the pitching staff looks like. I think coach Mead has done a great job in bringing these guys along. It's definitely been an advantage having him here for the full year now, um, as opposed to last year where he came in basically at the break and, tried to figure these guys out as he went. He's had a whole year instituting um, how he wants them to prepare. They're throwing programs. He, ha- he knows their repertoire. Um, I just think pitching-wise, I'm hoping that it's a, it's a very pleasant surprise in spite of what we lost from last year. And then offensively and defensively, really, there's so many new guys out on the field. I mean, we've got to replace Taylor and Bride and Tolbert and Rowe and Williams and Cortez and, and – and Stokes, I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of firepower there, and it's a lot of good defense that we have to replace. So that part, that part, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised early on if it's not a little bit of a work in progress where guys are getting used to the speed of the game at this level. Um, with us trying to figure out the best roles for them, we'll tinker a little bit early in the season trying to find the best formula. Um, but when all is said and done, I think I think we'll get some things figured out, and I think we can surprise some people. No doubt. Last question before we let you go, Coach. Do the uh, do the butterflies still hit Coach Kingston on opening day? Always. If you care about something <laughs> and you have a passion for something, when when it comes time to do it, absolutely you get butterflies. But you know, in our experiences and in, in studying sports psychology a lot, uh, butterflies are a good thing. It means you care. It means you're anxious to get going, and you just have to you have to know how to manage them properly. So I would expect the entire coaching staff, the players, the fans, everybody has a little bit of that butterfly effect because uh, I think everybody really has a great passion for it. So I look at it as a positive. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we really do appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I know we look forward to watching you guys uh, out there on the field this spring. Best of luck. All right, Chris. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much. For, so for Coach Kingston and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.